Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It is a huge weekend of the National Football League. Alex, for me, this is my second favorite weekend of the NFL season. My favorite was last week. Divisional round, you have two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday, you just can't beat it. But the championship weekend is also pretty excellent, and it signifies the final real week of just the typical minutia of going through an NFL season, right? Next week is a little different. Next week, we're heading to the Pro Bowl. Week after that, it's all the Super Bowl festivities. You'll have the media night and all these different things that are the typical lead up to the big game. But for this weekend, it is the last time that we have our NFL weekend look ahead, all of the typical things that you can expect. And this time around, I think there are three quarterbacks heading into Sunday's games that can have legacy-defining moments. Three of the four that are playing, I think, can do that. You look at Patrick Mahomes. He's got a chance to drag the clear-cut worst team that he has been on so far in his career to the Super Bowl. And he's able to do that potentially by going on the road for the first time in back-to-back games in the postseason and doing so against two teams that people thought were going to take the Chiefs down. First with Buffalo, then going into Baltimore. I've not seen a single national analyst picking the Chiefs in this game just yet. So that's Mahomes' side of things. He's got the chance to have for him what 2018 was for Tom Brady, where it's like, okay, we get it. Just never pick against that guy in the playoffs. That's, that's what we learned this time around. For Lamar Jackson, the only thing he is missing on his resume right now, he's going to be a two-time MVP. The only thing he is missing is the ability to win in the postseason and get his team to a Super Bowl. And actual weapons on offense. Fair. But in terms of accomplishments as a quarterback, you can't be much more accomplished at this point in your respective career than Lamar Jackson is. But he's been terrible for the most part in the postseason. He was really good last week. He's got a chance against a top-five defense in Kansas City to go out there and show it again this weekend. And then finally, the other guy, the one other quarterback in my mind, T-Bone, that has a chance to have a legacy-defining moment this weekend. Brock Purdy. Jared Goff. It's Jared Goff. If you take two different teams to the Super Bowl, for all the talk that we have about Jared Goff and how he's a game manager and he's, he's the guy that you have to then go get the guy like the Rams did with Matt Stafford. Dude, if you take two teams to the Super Bowl. I understand he had a great supporting cast on both of them. That is the type of player that will, at that point, 
have to be defined as a legitimate franchise quarterback. It's hard to argue otherwise. So for me, those are the three quarterbacks that have the potential to define their legacies with wins on Sunday. Alex, am I missing anybody? Is there any anybody else that should be thrown into that category? No, Brock Purdy, because or he's not on this because he's probably going to be the most unforgettable quarterback in the championship uh, weekend that we've ever seen. But no, I, I mean, as much as and I agree that Patrick Mahomes should be on this list, I just... Patrick Mahomes' legacy is already great. I'm not sure you can move the needle any more than what he's already accomplished. The two main guys for me are Lamar Jackson and Jared Goff, for what you mentioned. Lamar Jackson just has always screamed regular season quarterback, not postseason quarterback. And you've already done it once. Can you do it again? And this one would be as impressive, if not the most impressive, accomplishment. And then the Jared Goff one is the one that I think screams the most in terms of legacy change because without an opportunity to do this with Detroit, I think Jared Jared Goff is always going to go down as one of those busts where you were selected first overall. You were expected to be this changing quarterback. Sure, you got to a Super Bowl, but the team that you took to a Super Bowl said you're not good enough and got rid of you, and then they won a Super Bowl. So if you can't get to this next level, if you're Jared Goff with this team, it's unfortunately going to be viewed as a disappointing, still very good, but disappointing career. But if you win this one, first of all, you're a god in the city of Detroit for the rest of your life. And second, I think your legacy is changed. The narrative is more viewed as, man, Jared Goff is a hell of a player. I I think for Goff, he's already solidified, at least in my opinion, to be the franchise guy in Detroit. And and I I thought when he got traded there, he was just going to be the stopgap, as we've talked about. But I I think where you talk about legacy defining, I mean, not only taking two teams to a Super Bowl, but the fact of the matter that at least the way I play this game out in my head of, okay, how is Detroit going to beat San Francisco? How do they pull off an upset? Guys, it's Jared Goff just puts the team on his back and they go because that defense isn't going to slow down San Francisco. Again, I've talked about it all week. I could get open in that secondary. Their secondary is terrible. So I expect the 49ers to put up points. And they've got a great defense. They've got a great pass rush with Bosa and Young. So in theory, if Detroit wins this football game, that means Goff goes off, probably throws for like 400 yards and has like four touchdowns. That would be really a legacy-defining game for Jared Goff. And for Mahomes, I, I think you're right, BK. Um, this is the worst team he's had around him since his time in Kansas City. It would be really impressive the way he played against Buffalo, the way he's played against Miami. He does that again against this great Baltimore defense, and he gets his team to the Super Bowl. It will be really impressive and the best run that he's had. And honestly, I think I know Lamar doesn't get the same kind of conversation as Mahomes because he hasn't been to the Super Bowl and he hadn't had a lot of playoff success, but we talk about Mahomes, and this is the worst cast he's had around him, and he doesn't have a, a great great array of weapons around him, and if, if he gets a team to the Super Bowl, it's really impressive. I think the same is true for Lamar Jackson. I, I've talked about it all week. I don't think his weapons are all that impressive. He's got Mark Andrews back. We'll see what he looks like. He's been out a really long time. Zay Flowers is okay, but I don't think he's a number one wide receiver yet, and I think their running game, I, I think it's worse than Kansas City's. We can have the debate about that, but the running game's not all that impressive. So if Lamar's able to go out there and play really well against a really good Kansas City Chiefs defense, the same should be said about Lamar where you look at it and go, wow, not only is it impressive that he got to his first Super Bowl, it's impressive he did it with the weapons that he's got around him. And by the way, the last nine uh, MVPs to make it to the Super Bowl have all lost when reaching the Super Bowl. Oh, that's a good betting So tip. if Lamar is able to get there and then win it, he will have rarefied air in terms of what he's able to accomplish. The last quarterbacks that have made it to a Super Bowl while winning the MVP that year were Mahomes, Brady, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton. Peyton did it twice. 
Rich Gannon and Kurt Warner. Those are the only quarterbacks to win an MVP and then make it to the Super Bowl in that season. All of them were, in my mind at least, future Hall of Famers. I think Matt Ryan will get in. I think Cam Newton will get in. But if you don't include those two, and they didn't win multiple MVPs like we're about to see with Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar is a future Hall of Famer. But he's got to get to a Super Bowl. That is something that is missing clearly from his resume. On the Jared Goff side of things, guys, the only quarterbacks that have gone to a Super Bowl with multiple different teams as a starter, the starting quarterback for multiple different teams, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Kurt Warner, Craig Morton, and now potentially Jared Goff if the Lions are able to get there this weekend. Here's my question for you. Has your view on these games changed at all since the end of the games on Saturday and Sunday, the, the end of the divisional round to where we are today? Where now you've... You've read all of the stuff that's come out this week, whether it's the analysis on the All-22 stuff where people are doing film breakdowns or the vibes checks, the injuries, whatever. Has your opinion, Alex, at all changed on what you were previously expecting for this upcoming championship weekend to where we are today? No. I Maybe it's just because I'm stubborn about it, but... <laughs> I, I think Baltimore and the Chiefs are going to have the best game this weekend. I think Baltimore and the Chiefs are, are a team or a matchup that could potentially go to overtime. But I think you're going to see a low-scoring defensive game, and I think the difference maker is going to be either Lamar Jackson goes and looks like an MVP or Patrick Mahomes looks like an MVP. That's going to be the difference in that one. And I, again, maybe I'm stubborn. I, I'm sticking with my gut and thinking Detroit beat San Francisco. I think they've got the better quarterback in that game, and I understand what T-Bone talks about with the defense defense but I don't think San Francisco is going to have that run game and I wonder what that looks like especially if Debo Samuel's not 100% so I think Detroit pulls out that victory yeah so I haven't changed I haven't really changed because I still think Baltimore and San Fran are going to be the teams that end up winning and I thought that coming into after the games ended last weekend the only thing that I would say is kind of changing for me as as we get closer and the clock starts to tick closer to two o'clock on Sunday I keep saying to myself am I really going to go against the current best player yeah. in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes because I hey I learned my lesson a lot against Tom Brady like that what was it 18 team that you mentioned with yep. him in New England I went nah that, no, that team can't win I will never forget I was on the air with uh with Anthony Stalter we were doing a football show that we used to do together and they traded Jamie Collins the Patriots did this is like the middle of the 2018 season I think they trade Jamie Collins who the casual football fan is no, like, real recollection of him as a player. He was a really good linebacker at the time for the Patriots, an important linebacker at the time for the Patriots. He's fast, good in coverage, could could rush the passer, did a little bit of everything. And I said to Stalter at the time, Stalter, I can't believe they're doing this. They're clearly, like, they've lost the thread, and now this is going to be the move that takes them off of the path of winning another Super Bowl. They won, like, two or three more after making that move. Like, it's just, I, I am right now with the Chiefs, and it's not just because it's my team that I grew up rooting for. I am with the Chiefs where I was, to your point, T-Bone, with the Patriots, where I just, I have a really hard time questioning them after seeing them find a way to just navigate this regular season, looking mostly a mediocre, and then come into the playoffs, and in back-to-back -back weeks, hey man, I know that score was close last week, that game was pretty well in hand by the Chiefs for the vast majority of it, if Josh Allen didn't go full hero mode for three quarters. Yeah, and that that's where I'm at with with the Chiefs as well, because I, I think Baltimore on paper is the better team. I, I think defensively they are really good. You got Lamar Jackson, like we said, is playing at an MVP level. And though I think the weapons are kind of similar, and, I, and honestly, I would maybe I would give the edge to Kansas City, but it's not by a lot. 
But you're right. I look at them in the regular season. I go, man, they were terrible. Their wide receivers, A, can't line up on side. <laughs> B, Valdez Scantling can't catch a ball when it's thrown deep. And he looked great against the Buffalo Bills. Like, Made all of a sudden. Made two catches, and that's all you need. Yeah, you know? and they just give – now that I've watched them in the playoffs and seeing them beat Miami handedly, beat Buffalo, to your point, pretty much handily if not for Josh Allen – I, it just reminds me of those teams that you watch. Like what, you look at the Golden State Warriors when they had, uh, and I'm not saying they're that that team, but all these teams that are great that have postseason success for a very long time. At some point, what happens? They just get bored in the regular season. They coast. They coast through it. Oh, psh, pish posh. Who cares if we've struggled offensively? We're going to turn around. And on the outside, we all go, "What? You're not turning this around? <laughs> are you kidding me? You stink this year." And then here they come, and, and Patrick Mahomes is playing fantastic. He's not just forcing it down the field anymore. He's taking whatever you give him. If he has to just dump the ball to his running backs 30 times in this game against Baltimore, he will do it, and he will just march the team down the field. And that's what's been so impressive. So I, I'm that's my biggest change. On Sunday, I was like, been a good season, boys. Really enjoyed it. Chiefs were able to get a couple of victories. They got their first ever uh, with Patrick Mahomes at the helm. First road playoff win. Like, this was a success. Chiefs did what they needed to do. They got to the AFC Championship game for the sixth straight year, and this is probably where it ends because they're going up against the Ravens. And as I've looked more and more into it, I think to myself, is it though? Is that it? Because I think people have overstated the difference in the defenses. I think the Chiefs' defense is not all that dissimilar from the Ravens. I think the Ravens are probably slightly better. I would give them the the edge, but I think it's pretty damn close. And if you look at some of the numbers, dude, the biggest difference is the Ravens got more takeaways than the Chiefs did. That's pretty much it. Sacks-wise, yeah, the Ravens are a little higher, but pressure-wise, it's it's not all that dissimilar. If you look at the numbers against the run, pretty damn close. Numbers against the pass, not all that dissimilar. Ravens a little better, but not all that dissimilar. If you're looking at, like, blue-chip players, I think you might even lean a little bit more towards the Chiefs' side of things there. The Ravens are more well-rounded, though. And then you look at the offense, Timo, and I kind of pushed back a little bit yesterday about the the Ravens versus the Chiefs pass catchers. I don't know. I think you might be convincing me now where it's like they're not that they're not that different. And on one side, I get Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And on the other side, I get John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes like weighs that tilts it way in favor yeah. of the Chiefs. So I think it's a legit 50-50 game. I will be picking the Chiefs, but I think it's really, really close. That's the one that has changed the most for me. Going into this week, I thought the Ravens were for sure the favorite in that one by a, a decent margin. At this point, I, I don't feel that way any longer. The 49ers one, I still feel the same way about. I just don't think that the Lions have what it takes to slow down that offense. I, I think that the I think the Lions will be able to score against the 49ers a decent amount, probably more than most people would. I'll take the over in that game. What? What but do you think? I think the 49ers are going to have a massive game offensively. What, what do you think the point total is that they have to hold San Fran to? 27. Oh, okay. I was even lower than that. I was tw- I was like 24. I think they could maybe they put, could up put up like 28 points. points. Oh, okay. Well, I guess if that's true, then yeah, I guess 27 then for me as well. But I think they could put up around that 27, 28 point mark. That means you got to hold San Fran to about 24, 27 in that range. Yep. I think that's about right. Yeah, I think that's one of those games that Jared Goff goes off on the offensive side, and I don't think it matters in terms of points because I think as long as they do proper ball management, which I have a lot of faith in Dan Campbell in, I think you put yourself in a position no matter what to be able to strike back. He's Alex Ferrario. That is Tanner Hendrickson, and I am Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, there was a signing that was made today by the Arizona Diamondbacks that, in my opinion, 
it signals the beginning of the end of the Cardinals in the trade market, if you ever thought they were actually in it. So we'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Alex, the Blues keep getting away with this. They were 11-6-1 under Bannister since he took over as the interim head coach for the team. And yet everything screams this is fraudulent, except for one thing. Is that thing good enough for them to be able to continue? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, the signing that the Diamondbacks made today basically signals the beginning of the end of the Cardinals in the trade market for starting pitcher. Beginning of the end. If you ever believed that they were in that market. We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit, though. start with that statement, beginning of the end. I thought you meant like the Cardinals season was over already. I I mean, if you listen to the fast lane, they might still not play. It was over when they signed Lance Lynn and (laughs) Kyle Gibson. And said, we got to jump on this market before it gets too out Let's of hand. Let's stick on this for a second. Dude, the fast lane hates this Cardinals team. Uh, I true. mean, hates this Cardinals team. And I don't blame them for it. Like, I understand it's not a super exciting team. It's in just so an Italian thing. Like, my boy Stoltz is that Italian grudge. And if you piss us off, we're going to hate you for a yeah. good 15 years. I texted Stoltz the other day. I said, hey, man, you, you doing all right? He said, yeah, I'm great. Why? He's, I said, you seem a little upset. <laughs> Again, you seem a little on edge. You piss us what, off what, once, we're not going to forgive you for at least what, 10 to 15 years. When I see Stoltz, I'm going back to the station after the show to do our podcast. Stuff. Sure. When I see stuff, I'm going to give him a hug. Uh, you know, I think he needs a hug. Another thing about Italians, we don't like being touched. So yeah. true. That is stay true. away. Yeah. Okay. Emotional attachment. I'll hug Carrie. Really Carrie's been a little upset unless you're too. family. And yeah. you're, I, you're I not. would imagine Carrie doesn't like being touched either. So you should probably stay away from both of those. Okay. Maybe Marsh. Yeah. Marshy loves hugs. Snack you in half yeah. by like looking at you. Actually, you know it's what? a thing. Marshy, Marshy's a big hugger, so they need to learn from the Grinch. They need their heart to grow a couple sizes. Okay. You know what they do have a lot of excitement about, though, is the Blues' recent Blues hockey. That was too much. You know what? Do you see Ken Wilson's calling hockey games in Australia? Uh, or football, baseball games? Baseball games, yeah. <sighs> Good for him. Sorry, go ahead, buddy. All right, so the Blues, since Drew Bannister took over, are 11th in the NHL in points percentage. They are 11-6-1 and one in the 18 games since he took over. That is 7th best in the Western Conference. But like I said, 11th in the NHL. And when you just look at it on the surface, you're like, okay, so they're a borderline top 10 team in the league since Drew Bannister took over. And you watch the games, you're like, man, I, I don't feel like they're playing great, but they, they keep finding a way to win. And they don't just win. They, they beat good teams. Like, they, they beat Vancouver. They go up against Pittsburgh and Colorado. And even when they lost those games, you're like, I mean, feel like maybe they were the better team they deserved a better outcome there they beat Dallas they beat Carolina they beat New York Rangers like they they're beating good teams here Alex and yet in my heart of hearts I keep saying to myself I don't think any of this is sustainable but it's been sustained for 18 games and so when you do it for I mean a quarter of the season essentially it it starts to feel like maybe this is real so I looked up the numbers, Alex, because you know I'm a nerd, and I like looking up the, the nerdy numbers. Natalette! What, what are they actually doing at even strength? So at even strength under Drew Bannister, they are 28th in Corsi rating. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that, that essentially means shot attempts at the goal. How often are you directing shots at the goal compared to your opponent? 
They are 28th in the league in that margin, if you will. They are 27th when you look at the percentage of the scoring chances at 5-on-5 that they are putting on net compared to their opponents. So 27th there. 31st when you look at just the high danger chances. And they are 9th in save percentage. So you're a bottom five team when it comes to basically every category at five on five other than save percentage where you're top 10. Okay, so your goalie's saving you there. The other thing, Alex, that is pulling them out of being a continuously bottom 10 team in the league is their power play. Since Drew Bannister took over, they are ninth in the league in power play percentage. So you're ninth in save percentage, ninth in power play percentage, but you're one of the worst teams in the league at basically everything else. Alex, in your mind, is this a sustainable way to win? Can they sneak into the playoff conversation if this is the team the rest of the way? Uh, Yes, they can on a couple of reasons. One, the Western Conference just is not good. Now, maybe in the middle of January, it makes sense because teams just don't have that drive, and the real playoff performers actually kick in around late February, March, trade deadline time, and that's when you start to kind of fade away from the pact. But the save percentage number is why I would say that they can stay in this race because you've got a great goaltender. And if your power play is starting to click, even if your even strength numbers are abysmal like they were against the Vancouver Canucks, you still found a way to outplay that team at even strength, meaning you outscored them and your goaltender made the save. So it's sustainable in the sense of, like, yeah, you can stay in the pact. I mean, you're two points away from being a playoff team, but you're four points away from being, like, a bottom seven team in the Western Conference or in the National Hockey League. So, like, that's sustainable, but the power play is a massive reason why. Listen to the top ten teams overall this season in the National Hockey League. Tampa Bay. Rangers, Hurricanes, Boston, Edmonton, Devils, Avalanche, Canucks, Maple Leafs, Islanders. All but two of those teams I just named are playoff teams. So if your power play can get back to being a competent area of your and game. it has been now for, yeah, for quite a while. It's been dependable. Look at the games you've been able to come back in. It's because of your power play and your penalty kill. If that gets back to the level you hoped it would and your save percentage stays up, it's sustainable in the sense of you can squeak in as a wild card team. And that's, I think that's what the expectations were this season. Yeah. I have a tough time thinking that they can sustain this and get into the, into the playoffs. I think they can hang around, but I I don't know if you can continue to play this way. They'll sneak in the playoffs. And honestly, I'm not even really that much of a buyer in what the power play is doing in the last handful of games under Bannister. It's probably not a handful now, but under the games under Bannister, because I saw what it looked like under Craig Berube, and I don't think a ton has changed with the power play. Like, I just don't think they have the pieces to have a really good power play and sustain what they're doing. I think the power play is on a bit of a hot streak, and it's helped propping them up. They're getting a prop up in their depth of scoring at 5-on-5 five five right now with that second line, but I don't think any of that is sustainable. And I think they are being bailed out by their goaltending, and I don't think that dam's going to break this year because Bennington and Hofer have been fantastic as a duo. But if you're not scoring 5-on-5 five five, and I don't trust the power play, then I don't think you can get into the playoffs. I think the only way they can kind of convince me of it based on these numbers is if I see them bring in some reinforcements at the deadline, like like a depth of scoring forward. I'm not sure. saying a lot, but bring in somebody that can help out and maybe a guy that would help on the power play as well. I, I, I just can't believe that they're going to be able to sustain this. But see, what's weird about it is, like, it's not a lot, but they're scoring at even strength. Again, it's not a lot. But they're getting goals at even strength because they're keep like it's it all net front presence. It's weird. Like they're 
they don't do it often, but when they do it, they're getting rewarded. They're for only it putting 22 way. shots on goal, but four of those 22 shots on goal are with guys standing in the crease that are getting the deflections, but that also goes back to the save percentage. If your goaltender is making absurd saves, like right now Bennington's 5-1-1 one, and one in the month of January. Yep. He's like one of the top, t- or top five goalies in the NHL in the month of January. He plays tonight. The other team puts 35 shots on goal. He lets two go in, and your team puts 17 shots, and you score two even-strength goals in one power play. You're thinking there's no way you should have won that game. But my goaltender weathered the storm for me, and then I get one lucky bounce, and then the power player penalty kill clicks. I guess the, the, the point that I would make, though, is like, I don't know if that's sustainable. Because I, I think you can win that way in individual games, and we've seen, clearly, they, they yep. can. They have won that way pretty consistently now for a while in those games. But what, you're, what we're really saying is the Blues games right now are coming down to the bounce of a puck. But, but couldn't I argue, and since we're talking sustainable, you're getting into the playoffs. Like, I could argue the same thing could be said for Nashville, Arizona, Seattle, and Calgary. Their five-on-five five metrics aren't as bad as yours. That, I think that's the difference is these teams are all... But like, you've had a better Blues, goaltender than a majority of those teams. Uh, some of them, yeah. The, the, the Blues aren't just like average at five on five, if these metrics showed that they were 18th, 19th, something like that, of course your rating score chances, all those, I'd be like, you know what? This team might be okay. Like they, they might not only make the playoffs, but with Jordan Bennington in net, they might actually be able to do damage in the playoffs because the Western conference, I think is a little down this year relative to what it's been. And the best teams, a lot of them to your point, Alex have goalie issues. They're 28th, they're 27th, they're 31st. Like, they are a bottom five team in almost every statistical category at five on five. And that's where I say to myself, all right, that to me is not sustainable. That shooting percentage that you were just talking about, Alex, you put 20 shots on net, you score three to four goals. That's no team in the NHL in the history of the league has done that. Never, ever, 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 ever. So either the Blues are going to be at first or this is going to have to come back to earth a bit. And and that's really just the the truth of the matter. And so what I do think might be sustainable is Jordan Bennington. And that's really the the big question here is like, how much do you trust Binner? And Alex, you trust Binner more than the two of us do. And that, like, I'm not telling you right or wrong. So far, you've been correct. Especially at the end of the season. I could understand not trusting him now. At the end of the season is when I trust him the most. You got to get there. You got to get there to have him be trusted at the end of the season, right? It's like Charlie Morton or Nathan Evaldi. You got those guys in your rotation. You feel pretty damn good about what they're going to be when they get to October. You got to get there first, though, for them to be able to show you that Madison Bumgarner. You feel pretty damn good about him getting you to October. Unfortunately, in odd years, the Giants were ineligible to make it to the postseason, so he he couldn't get there. But when he did, hot damn, that guy was one of the best October performers we've ever seen. But in the regular season, he was like a slightly above average innings eater in Major League Baseball. That's the equivalent to me of what Jordan Bennington has been in his career. So my, my, my firm answer to this, is this sustainable? I don't think so. No, I, I would bet against it. Um, being top 10 in save percentage and power play and bottom five in every other advanced cat- category, I, I don't think that's something that can sustain over the long haul. That being said, dude, I am rooting like hell for it too because it's a lot of fun to watch because you're, you're like you're tilting on edge at all times when you're watching the Blues right now because you feel like you're watching your goalie take on an avalanche of hockey pucks and then suddenly you get an opportunity going the other way and it seems to be going in more often than not right now. That's a lot of fun. You go down the power play, and right now you're like, 
hey, we've got a real chance to score here. Penalty kill. We've got a chance to score here. So the Blues are a fun team to watch, even if I, I would be skeptical on them actually being able to sustain this to get them into the playoffs. That's that's kind of where I'm at at this point in time. Yeah. Blue. I was going to say real quick, and to their credit, as much as these numbers tell you, like I, I think the numbers will tell you a story of a season and tell you the story of a game. The Blues should have been on a six, seven game losing streak at this point. Somehow they have not gone through that fl- that downturn that we saw last year. It's why they're hanging afloat and why they still do have an actual shot at the playoffs. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We'll get to ask us anything, sports or otherwise, coming up here in just about fifteen minutes or so. Blues back in action, by the way, tonight. Blues versus the Kraken in Seattle. It's a late one for you, Alex. Eight o'clock pregame show here on one hundred one ESPN. The puck drop for that one at 9 o'clock. But coming up next, is the National League as good as we expected it to be heading into this season? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live at the EMB Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. We have Jordan Deacon back in the studio for us doing a fantastic job filling in today as T-Bone's out here at Centene Community Ice Center with us. All right, Alex, there was a bit of news in Major League Baseball earlier today as Jock Peterson has officially agreed to a deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Jock Peterson because he is kind of the Jordan Bennington of Major League Baseball in some ways where it's like I I don't know that he's more than a slightly above league average hitter during the regular season but you get that dude to October and it feels like he lives up to the moment every single time that he has an opportunity to hit for a contender in the month of October so I like the move a lot for the Arizona Diamondbacks I would have liked it if the Cardinals decided to go that route but it would have had a caveat to it the only reason you signed Jock Peterson if you're the Cardinals is if you would have traded Nolan Gorman this offseason and now that Jock Peterson is off the market, I think that should be, and probably was already, frankly, off the table for the St. Louis Cardinals. Because he was the only real, like, backup plan that was available in free agency. This Cardinals team needs the threat of a left-handed power bat in their lineup. And right now you have that with Nolan Gorman. If you were to trade him to the Mariners, Marlins, whoever, then you would need to replace it. And I think Peterson was really the only guy on the market that had that ability for you, so... 
now that that's off the table, I think, and probably already did, but we can officially set aside any of those conversations about trading Nolan Gorman for a starting pitcher. Yeah, I, I think we set those aside a while back when the Cardinals kind of made it pretty clear that starting pitching was seemingly done, uh, unless, you know, you believed John Mozeliak saying never say never. But, yeah, when you take those options off the board, I mean, I always kind of thought that if they traded Nolan Gorman, you put an Alec Burleson in that spot. But, of course, he doesn't have the same power uh, projections as a Nolan Gorman does. But, yeah, when you see those options gone, and I, I just think when you look at the Cardinals and the way they talk, it's seemingly like no trades are going to be considered because they believe this is the roster that they can win with. They believe that they're one of the top teams in the NL Central, and to make a move would just be making a move for move sense. And the Cardinals view this as, why, we're a team that can at least compete, and unless something blows them away, and I don't even know if anything would really blow them away at this point, they were going to keep this roster in place because the offense is how they seemingly believe they're going to win baseball games this year. Yeah, I I think they... I think they don't want to trade Nolan Gorman because they still see the upside. And I think they feel like once you figure out kind of that, his back issue, and I think they feel like they've gotten a good handle on that this offseason. They think Gorman's gotten a good handle on this. They they see him as being like arguably the second best bat in the National League when he hits his potential because he has 40 home run power, just like a Kyle Schwarber. And Jack Peterson's fantastic. I think he's got great power. He's now at this point in his career – a, a platoon bat. He's always been a platoon bat. Yep. And with him being a platoon bat, he's like a 25 home run guy, uh, maybe. So I, I don't know if they ever really wanted to explore that route. I, certainly, I would have been kind of open to it I, because of the fact that they need a number two. Like it, It's obvious. We've talked about it all offseason that they are desperately needing somebody with some upside. So, yeah, I, I think when you look at their position core players, they're they're definitely now not going to be able to go move a Nolan Gorman. Um, maybe they could still consider a Nupar or a Donovan, but I, I just don't think they want to do that because I think they like the on-base that those guys provide. And, and they feel like for the first time, and it feels like a couple of years now, that they actually have a solidified outfield in Newpar, Edmund, and Walker, and they don't want to pull a piece out of that and go, okay, now we throw left field up into the air again. So I, I think you're right. I, I think the trade market for them, unless it's like being able to acquire Dylan Cease for some minor league prospects, I think they're out of it. So if this is the team heading into opening day, as currently constructed, they don't make any more big moves. They made a couple of like minor minor league moves, no pun intended. Um Today, a couple of pitchers that you probably will never hear about again, but hopefully they end up working out. It, it's lottery tickets. Let's assume that this is the roster going into opening day, Alex. As of today, Fangraphs is projecting the Cardinals for 85 wins, which feels kind of in line with what I would say the vast majority of Cardinals fans feel like this team is going to be slightly above 500. I think the difference between where Cardinals fans are at and where these projections say that they are, though, is the context of what that win total means. Because according to Fangraphs, the only teams in the National League that they have with more than 85 wins are the Atlanta Braves at 98 wins and the L.A. Dodgers at 91. That's it. Every other team in the NL, they have at 85 or fewer wins. They've got Philly with 85. They've got the New York Mets with 84. They've got Miami with 82. Arizona with 82. They've got San Francisco with 81. They don't view the National League around St. Louis as being as good as we probably do right now. Do you guys feel that? Do, do you sense that the National League might be getting a little overstated in terms of the depth of quote-unquote great teams? I think I think there's three teams that, I would say are the dominant forces in the national league. And then everyone else is kind of in that 85 win area. I think those three teams are Atlanta, LA, and I would give 
better odds and projections to the Phillies compared to what they give them. I look at the Phillies as a team that's 90 or more wins this season. Uh, those are the only three. I'm sure some people would say the Diamondbacks because they were just at the World Series. Huh. I think the Diamondbacks got better. I don't know if they got to be one of those three powerhouses in the National League better. Like I think they're even with the addition of Eduardo Rodriguez and the emergence of a lot of their players last season, I still think they're a team that's somewhere around like 85 to 88 wins. I, I think there are four teams right now better than the St. Louis Cardinals. Two of them I think are close, and then two of them are just like in that juggernaut class, and you mentioned them, the Braves and the Dodgers. They feel like they're on a collision course in theory, to meet in the NLCS this year. Because they, I think the Braves and Dodgers, they've got an incredible lineup. They've got incredible starting pitching depth now. And they've both got pretty good bullpens. I, I think the Phillies and Diamondbacks, I would put ahead of the Cardinals right now. But it's not by a lot. Because I, I look at the Phillies, I go, man, that's a loaded offense. And they've got that incredible one-two punch of Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. I, I like uh, Suarez that's in their rotation, sitting in that three. Tywin Walker kind of serves as in theory, it's supposed to be their innings eater. And then Arizona, I, I mean, looking at their projected lineup for opening day, they are loaded like one through six, and they've got projected Guriel batting eighth in this lineup. Guys, Guriel had an incredible year for them. So I, I think that they are a team, and they've got three great starting pitchers, Merrill Kelly, Zach Gallen, uh, signed Eduardo Rodriguez this year, and Brandon Font, who was fantastic in the playoffs, will be their four. I, I think they're slightly better than you. They've got some bullpen questions, just like I think the Cardinals have some bullpen questions. But I think the Cardinals project better as the best team right now in the NL Central. And I think it's right around that 85-win mark. I don't think the National League is this gauntlet outside those top two teams. Yeah, I, I feel that way as well. And I, I think it becomes kind of similar to what we saw in the AFC this year, where there's there's a lot of teams that could emerge. I, I could see other teams becoming good in the National League or becoming legitimate contenders in the National League the way that – you know, the, the Houston Texans by the end of the year kind of felt like a contender in the AFC. The, the Browns, I think a lot of people convinced themselves, hey, maybe that's a team that could, could kind of go on a run to the Super Bowl even. I convinced myself of it uh, based on some of the pieces that they had available to them. I think that's that's what we're going to do in the NL this year is it's always been the Ravens and the Chiefs in the AFC, always was. And that's kind of how it is right now in the NL. It's the Braves and the Dodgers, and then everybody else is coming for those two teams. And then it just becomes a matter of, can you get the path? Does the path allow for somebody else to get to that NLCS? And then in one series, anything can happen. And that's what the Cardinals have to be hoping for. They've got to hope that maybe the Braves and the Dodgers end up meeting up for some reason or another. They were like the two and the three seeds in the National League. They meet up in the NLTS, and then you get to play the winner of that matchup, and maybe they're a little banged up at that point in time in the NLCS. That, that's the hope. Yeah, and I think when you look kind of like at the middle of the pack, I mean, I think the reason the Cardinals kind of separate themselves is I think they've just got the more proven offense right 100%. now with their veterans and Goldie and Arnado. Uh, Gorman got a couple of years under his belt now. Because, like, you look at the Cincinnati Reds, yeah, I think they're one of those teams that could be one of those surprise teams you're talking about. They are very young. They are very young. They don't really have that Joey Votto guy anymore that can be that leader for them. Milwaukee's a team that has, like, never been great offensively. They just lost a major piece in their starting rotation. You look at San Diego, yeah, they got Machado, they got Tatis, but, man, they basically said we got to go with a very young rotation because we got to save money. And the Mets are kind of retooling. Miami's got great pitching. What the hell are they doing offensively? Like, everybody's got something that you look at and you can go, man, that could be really good. And that's what the Cardinals have. Their offense, you go, 
they're going to be really good. It feels more like a certainty, in my opinion, compared to all those other ones where it's like, yeah, they could be, but I can see where that really flops for them. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We've got Jordan Deacon back in the studio for us today. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. And coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything, sports or otherwise, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Nine six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions, get them in on the Air Comfort Service text line right now. We will get to them, uh, sports or otherwise, here on BK and Ferrario. All right, from the 314, guys, how do you come up with three hours of stuff to talk about day in and day out? It's pretty impressive if you ask me. Thank you, sir or madam, whoever you might be. Nice to know that text didn't say you guys talk about the same thing every single day. Uh, We do a lot of work. It's hard work, basically digging ditches. No, um, it's it's never ending, man. Like it's it, we have the best job in the world. Somebody pays us to talk about sports for a living, and I would never, ever, 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 ever complain about that. Um, but the hard part of it is your job never really actually ends. Like when you get home, you're always looking for, hey, how could I talk about this on the radio? How does this apply to what we're going to talk about tomorrow? And so that's that's the truth of the matter. Is it's just. You're always looking for stuff, and if you're always looking for stuff, you always have stuff to talk about. The hard part that I've learned doing the show with you over these last few years is coming up with something that isn't just a quick answer of like, yeah, that's a good thought, and then move on from it. Like, you got to be able to like get eight to ten minutes out of a topic, <laughs> uh, which when I used to host shows, uh, it used to be like, oh, I like this idea, and I'd do it, and I'd be like, cool. Had that thought for 60 seconds. Now what the hell am I going to do for the next nine minutes? Yeah, if I can answer a question with a yes or a no, and then there doesn't need to be an additional statement that needs to be made, uh, it's not a topic on our yeah. on our show. Some some show everybody operates differently. That's the other thing. We run our show very differently than a lot of people run theirs, and that is not to suggest that they're right, we're wrong, we're, or vice versa. But every show goes about their business very differently, whether it's on our station or different markets, whatever. Um, I like talking a lot of big picture stuff. That's something that interests me. And so if our hosts are interested, I've always said, like, if I'm producing a show for, I used to do it for Kevin Wheeler. Um, I have produced for Bernie Miklas in the past. I produced for Anthony Stalter. The stuff, the topics that I'm bringing to each of those three individuals is going to be very different. Because you want your host to be engaged. You want them to be interested in whatever it is that they're talking about. For me, that means talking a lot of big picture stuff. What does this mean? Game happened yesterday. What does that mean big picture wise? Um, when I did a show with Danny Mac, Dan really likes getting into the manager decisions. Like what what happened and why did they make that choice? So everybody goes about it a little bit differently, but that's some of the behind the scenes as to how you go about it. Yeah, and that's why we're a little different because I'm one of those that's more of a short-sighted person and I like going a lot more of like, near future that's why i have a tough time discussing about the st louis blues 
at times this year because I look at them and go, they're not very good. Let's move on. It's time to get rid of the St. Louis Blues conversations. Let me get to February for spring <laughs> training, baby. But yeah, it, it gets it, it can be tough, especially on like during hockey season where it's not every day. That's what's that's why I love baseball is it's every single day. There's constant every single day. That's short term, long term. Hockey can be tough because you know who didn't play last night? The St. Louis Blues. You know who didn't play last night? St. Louis Cardinals. You know what didn't happen last night? The NFL. <laughs> I got so jaded doing pre tough. and post game with the Cardinals. Like when you do it every single night that I was like, oh, my God, like give me a break. But it's different when you're doing pre and post game because that like gets monotonous where it's the same thing that yeah. you're talking about. And it's like, man, that's why I always love. I hate preview post yeah. radio. That's I- why I always preferred the Blues pre and post games when I did it was because I would have two days off in between and two days to get content from the players. Whereas you'd go in the locker room for the clubhouse or the clubhouse with the Cardinals after a game. They'd be like, why are we talking about this? Yeah. Because I just about it. All right. three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service X line for ask us anything. Alex from the 636. What's your favorite park at Disney World? Man, if you would have asked me that like five years ago, I would have told you Hollywood Studios because of the rides, yeah. but now it's Magic Kingdom. Oh, interesting. Because of the, the characters and the girls. Like, I, I was telling Katie because we're going Tuesday. Like, it's weird how excited I am to go on this trip, but it's because both of my girls are in this stage where they put the princess dresses on. They love the characters. And, like, I'm, I'm very excited to do Magic Kingdom because I get to see their reaction to the characters. I like Animal Kingdom. That's my favorite. Oh, see, that's the one I hate the most. Really? Why? Yeah. I just, I never, well, and again, I haven't been there since we've had girls. But when we went, I just never felt like they had the stuff that got me excited oh, as really? the other places did. I, I love uh, the Avatar area. It's I haven't been there. That it's might been be part of it. Time. I hated the Avatar movies. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. so like I, I never it. liked Avatar. Okay, the, the, the ride is amazing, and the area, I did a half marathon down at Disney World a few years ago. and it was Weird a, flex. No, there's a reason why I'm saying it. It was in the morning. It was really early, the way that they have to do it, because it has to have, be done before the park's open. Up, you get up early and walk um, out. And it was still dark out, and so it was lit up. And it was one of the coolest oh, places cool. that I've ever yeah. run through. Now you now on the other side. So now of the, I'm in. Now okay. the other I'm going to walk that half marathon. <laughs> but. You could be like me when it comes to the marathon. My wife ran the marathon, and I went down to support her. I had to sit in the stands at 7 a.m. Yep. and wait eight hours for her to complete the damn marathon. That's oh, what my wife it was did. the worst we, thing in the world. We had to be there by four yeah. oh, for the half yeah. marathon that started at 4, I sat, or 5. I sat on I bleachers for like eight hours, yeah. oh. and I had to use porta-potties, so oh. I was very pissed. Oh. From the 314, have any of you three gents ever had a job where you would physically sweat from the work that you're doing with the job? Yes. When I did umpiring, it gets hot in the summer. Did 10 years of pest control and uh, out in that freaking heat dealing with bees and bugs. Yeah, I used to hate that. Uh, I used to do manual labor with my dad. I can't tell you that I was particularly good about or good at it, but uh, that would, yeah, I would sweat a decent amount. It's a hot summer in Kansas City trying to fix a garage door that that'll get you. I always now imagine would... your dad who had to fix your mistake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I always preferred to work in the, the heat, though, compared to the cold. All right, coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're getting into some NFL quick hitters. But next, we talk a lot, Alex, about the L.A. Kings retool. They're talking about firing their coach. So did their retool actually work? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hello, 
alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN in about 10 minutes or so. We're getting some NFL quick hitters heading into championship weekend. We've got Jordan Deacon, by the way, back in the studio working the board for us today as we are out at the Centene Community Ice Center broadcasting from the E&B Granite Studios. Alex, one of the things that we've talked a lot about, because Doug Armstrong has referenced it a number of times, is how the, the Blues can most closely resemble the retool that is on display out in L.A. with the Kings. And early on this season, man, that looked like a great thing to emulate. The Kings were 27-4 and by Christmas time. They looked like they were the best team in the Western Conference. And, man, the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, well, yeah, it's working out for Winnipeg as well. This might be a rare win-win trade for both sides. Well, they're 22-14-9 and nine now, so they've gone 2-7-5 and five since that 27-4 and four start. There are conversations happening among the media in L.A. about whether or not they should fire Todd McClellan, their head coach. And Drew Doughty came out the other night and said, hey, we've got too many guys in this locker room that care more about their points than they do the wins. Sound familiar? Alex, the reason why I bring this up is because I – I am genuinely curious, as much as we talk about the Kings and their retool and how that's the formula and all these different things, they had a 100-point season, yeah, but they lost in the first round each of the last two years. And this year, it, it sure looks like they're headed for a disappointing season relative to expectations if they don't get this thing turned back around. Would you say that the Kings retool has been a success so far? If you would have asked me that in the off season, I would have said absolutely, um, because I think that they had the pieces in place. I think they had the depth. I think they had the right leaders in place, and they had a successful. I mean, when you have a hundred and eight point season, you're looking at it saying like, "Yeah, we've done something right, and we're trending in the right direction." I think where the L.A. Kings screwed up was the trade that they made in the off season. I think, I think they went too bold with their dis with their lean into we're about to win a Stanley Cup. And they traded their depth for one guy that they hoped was going to be great, Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen Pierre-Luc Dubois' numbers, uh, but they have not been pretty. And when Drew Doughty's coming out, a leader in that place that's been there through the retool, was a part of championship teams, and he is saying, yeah, we got guys here that are, are more focused on themselves than the team. Well, you traded away three guys that were massive pieces of that retool that you were trying to accomplish that were big pieces of them being in a 108-point season last year, and you traded all three of those guys away to bring in somebody else. Like I, I think there's a fine line of being bold with your roster and saying, like, hey, we are ready to make a push. The team I always go back to are the Chicago Blackhawks. You got Taves, you got Kane, you got Keith and Seabrook, and you say, you know what, we are ready. Let's go get Marion Hosa. But then you also got a team that gets too greedy with their retool and says, we want to do this faster. And you make a move like that that jacks everything up. So, uh, and, and look, you could push back and say, like, the first couple of months of the season, it didn't look too bad. But I think teams start to really tell the tale of who they are once you get into this type of season. And when Drew Doughty's saying that, uh, they're going to have some problems. I don't think it's a coach problem. I think this is more of a roster problem. But that's coming from somebody who always feels that way. Yeah, I, I don't know if it can be defined as a success, but Grant, I don't know if it can be defined as a failure either. I, I think it's just kind of stuck in the middle right now because you get to the playoffs in back-to-back years, you lose in the first round. Like, I I picture that as like, okay, that's the first step of exiting the retool, right? You, you end up, you build the roster that you like, you get to the playoffs, 
and maybe you lose in the first round. But you know what? You get that playoff experience, and I think that matters. I think you need to know what it's like to lose in the playoffs so you can learn what it takes to win in the playoffs. Where I'm kind of stuck here is, like, I I don't want to define this as a failure yet. I think a failure would be they miss the playoffs. They miss the playoffs, then it just went awry. They find a way to sneak in. They could win win the first-round series, get to the second round. That's the next step. You know, we saw the Blues. They lost in, I think it was back-to-back years, 13-14, 14-15, first round. What happens? The next year they get to the conference finals. They made a couple of moves. They get to the conference finals. That wasn't a retool, but you know what? That's the kind of steps I expect for a team that's trying to learn their way through season by season to have playoff success. So I think right now it's up in the air. I I wouldn't call it a failure. I wouldn't call it a success. I I think if you're going to call it a success, you got to get past the first round this year. If it's a failure, they miss the playoffs. They lose in the first round, to me, it's stalled. I think there are three different teams. I mean, you got to be better than a 108-point or at least a 100-point team if you're going to put 108 last year. Like, If you don't do that, you're taking a step backwards. It's interesting because I I really don't care what they do in the regular season. Like, I think they're at the point in their retool where it's about playoff success. Like it, it is time to – you could put 105, 110, 95. I, I don't care what your points are for the regular season. you got to get this corrected. And you got to get it corrected in time for the postseason. And then when you get there, you have to do something more than the first round. The last time this team made it out of the first round of the playoffs was 2014. It's been a decade since the Los Angeles Kings made the playoffs and got out of the first round. It is past time for you to talk about what you're going to be doing during the regular season. Now it's about playoff success. And so when the Blues get out of this retool, Alex, if they go back-to-back seasons like the next couple of years, um, making the playoffs, whatever the regular season success is, like 100 points, 90 points, somewhere in between, and they go to the first round back-to-back seasons, cool. We'll all view that as a stepping stone. That's a, that's a great way, to your point, T-Bone, to learn what it means to get back into those kinds of meaningful games. But there will come a point in time, not too long after that, where you have to say to yourself, all right, now it's time to, like, let's go. Let's do something in the postseason. You can't just get there and get bounced in the first round every year and feel like that's success based on your regular season points. That's the Toronto Maple Leafs, man. And they didn't view that as a success at all. That was a complete failure year after year after year. I think the Kings are basically there. Um, And so right now, is their retool a success? I would say the first couple of years of it absolutely were because they didn't bottom out and then they were able to get back to playoff contention. The problem is, you were right, Alex. They got overly aggressive. They saw that they were a playoff team and were like, okay, now we got to pounce. Now we got to go get Pierre-Luc Dubois, who all of us could have said, this is probably a bad move. That is not the guy to push all of your chips into the middle for. This is not a... Matthew Kachuk situation. I think the Kings learned once again the wrong lesson from a team going all in on Matthew Kachuk. They learned, okay, when you're close, you go do that. No, you you go do that if Matthew Kachuk is out there. You don't just go do that for anybody. They did make a big move. I think they made a bold move that ended up costing them, though, and that is what the Blues have to avoid. If there's another lesson to be learned from the LA Kings here in St. Louis, it is what happened this offseason. When you get close... When we do get a year, two, three years down the road and the Blues are getting back into playoff contention and we're feeling good about the roster again and that depth of scoring is there as it was for the Kings, don't then cash in all of your chips for one guy. That is a maybe. Yeah. If you're going to cash in your chips, that one guy better be an exclamation point at, at the end of the contender status. It can't be a question mark. Yeah, I mean, I... I think the Blues are in a situation where they look at this and and say, like, hey, to get out of this retool, we might have to make a bold move. Like, 
I look at some of the teams that were very bold in moves, and it's paid off for them. I, the Florida Panthers. Like, it is bold to trade away a guy who had 115 points and one of your best defensemen, but you did it for Matthew Kachuk, and exactly. now they have consistently been a playoff team. I look at the Vancouver Canucks as another really good example. We talked about this about a month ago, of how Vancouver did it and how the Blues can do it. Well, Vancouver was bold in the sense of we've got a captain that's a point-per-game player that we don't think is a part of our championship mindset. They traded Bo freaking Horvat to the New York Islanders and didn't get anything in return. They got a couple of bottom-line players, but they did that because they felt the roster that they had was ready to be aggressive, and they gave Quinn Hughes the C. J.T. Miller was one of their leaders, and they let them run with it. I look at a Blues team and say, like, hey, if you're going to be a team that gets out of this retool, you got to make a bold move, and it's got to be the right bold move. Because if you don't, if you make the wrong bold move, well, then you do become an L.A. Kings team that's like, man, where's our culture at right now? Maybe the team that you're actually following is the team that made the trade with the L.A. Kings. Maybe it's Winnipeg. Yeah. Where they traded away, they made a really bold move this offseason, and people thought, hey, does this signal that the Winnipeg Jets are going into a full-blown rebuild? Because if you're trading Pierre-Luc Dubois, it probably signals that, okay, maybe it is time for Connor Hellebuck discussions of being traded elsewhere. Maybe it's time for Mark Shifley to be on the trade block to go somewhere else. And they pushed back against all of that. And they're 30-11-5 now at this point in the season, about halfway through the year, where it's like, hey, that might be the best team in the Western Conference right now. Mm -hmm. So instead of making the bold move to go all in for a question mark, maybe you trade a question mark that people view as a bold move and it allows you to get that depth of scoring that you're looking for. I don't know who that would be, but in a scenario where they did make a move, that's probably the actual path that they could follow is what the Winnipeg Jets were willing to do. I think sometimes you have to make that move to tell your team, I believe in you. And I think that's what Vancouver did when they traded Bo Horvat away. We believe in this group. I think what the LA Kings said, we don't believe in what we have. We got to go get something with certainty, and it didn't pay off. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I wanted to look into how often the Cardinals had the lineup that we're expecting them to build around this year. Donovan, Goldie, Newtbar, Arenado, Contreras, Gorman, Walker. That's the core seven players that we think are going to be in the lineup almost every day this year. How often were they in the lineup together last year? And what was the Cardinals' offensive output when they were in there? I want to get into that. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, NFL Quick Hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Jordan Deacon back in the studio for us. We are hanging out at the ENB Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now it is time for some NFL quick hitters. Alex, since we last spoke, there has been a hire that has been made in the NFL. And it was not Bill Belichick. Oh, well, do we care? Boys, I don't think Bill Belichick's going to get hired in this cycle. And I don't think Mike Vrabel is going to get a job in this cycle either. There are only three jobs, is that correct, remaining? It's the Washington Commanders, the Seattle Seahawks. Those are it, actually. That's it. Those two, right? Because the Panthers. The Panthers just hired their coach the other day. The Atlanta Falcons hired Raheem Morris. T-Bone, I want to get your thoughts on that. I can't believe this, but I really do think we are going to see Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick not get jobs this cycle. All right, T-Bone, let's get into it, though. Yesterday, the Atlanta Falcons announced they are hiring 
Raheem Morris, the former Rams defensive coordinator, as their next head coach. He was your D.C. over the last season. Raheem Morris was with the Rams. What did you think of the move? What did you make of it? So I, I thought he was deserving of a head coaching job because he's done a hell of a job as the D.C. in L.A. I mean, that defense coming into the year I thought would be one of the worst units in football. And they ended up being respectable. They weren't great by any means, but they were respectable, which was a hell of an accomplishment for Raheem Morris. Be honest with you, I don't understand what the Falcons are doing. Because I thought Morris was deserving of a job, but I would have said, like, okay, take the Carolina gig, take uh, the Washington gig, go somewhere where, like, you're getting a fresh start. You get to kind of build up the ground with the new team that that they're trying to build around in this rebuild. Atlanta's, like, in win-now mode, and I thought for sure with the weapons they have offensively and their need for a quarterback – they were going to go with an offensive-minded coach or the greatest one of all time in Bill Belichick, who you knew but who his OC was going to be, which was Josh McDaniels. Um, I was sh- I was shocked by this hire because as much as I liked Raheem Morris, I thought they needed an offensive mind. Now, Morris is going to have to get the right offensive coordinator to come in and work with whoever it is they decide is going to be the future guy at quarterback. I thought for sure they were going to push all their chips in on Ben Johnson if it wasn't going to be um, Bill Belichick. I, I find the hiring interesting because I, I think he, sh- he I think he will be better this time. I think he's ready for a head coaching job, but I don't know if like he's like a turns the needle to like all of a sudden hey you get the right quarterback and they're going to be a threat in the NFC. Yeah, I, I liked the hire because I think I mean Atlanta had a really good defense at times last season. Obviously, their offense is what plagued them, but I I, I think you need a leader in that role, and it seems Raheem Morris, from everything we've heard, has got really good leadership skills. But T-Bone's right. It comes down to to nailing your offensive coordinator. If you don't get the right guy, well, then you're in for a world of hurt. Maybe he's better on the offensive side than we're giving him credit for. But if you would have gone this route, I probably would have rather seen a Mike Vrabel over a Raheem Morris because I think Mike Vrabel's an incredible leader and got the best out of a mediocre play uh, team that they had in the Titans. But uh, I, I guess it's going to remain to be seen. This is going to come down to, though, who his offensive coordinator is. Yeah, this goes back to what we talked about the other day for me. I. I just want to find a leader, somebody that can come in and instill their program and get the best results possible. Does that mean that it's a question as to what the offense is going to be? Absolutely. But we've got to remember where he Morris was an offensive assistant in Atlanta before he became the defensive coordinator in L.A. So he has experience on both sides of the ball. Some of these coaches, I think we underestimate how much value they have on the opposite side of the ball. Like, One of the things that makes Kyle Shanahan so great as an OC, as an offensive mind, is that he actually spent some time early in his career as a defensive assistant in the NFL. So keep that in mind as well. I I do think it's a really good hire because everybody you hear that has spent any time around Raheem Morris will tell you that guy is an unbelievable football leader. So I I hope it works out well for him. He seems like a genuinely good dude. Um, And the first time around just went horribly. He he wasn't ready for that job when he got it in Tampa Bay. So the other two jobs that remain are the Seahawks and the Commanders. All reports seem to suggest that the Commanders are honing in on Ben Johnson. I think Ben Johnson will be the next head coach in Washington. Now, it's not a job I want if I'm him. I wouldn't either. I'd stay in Detroit. But there's new ownership. There's new ownership in Washington, so we have to keep that in mind. Now, that can go either direction, but the owner there, we do have some experience with him in a different sport. The owner there is the owner as well for the Philadelphia 76ers, and people seem to believe that's at least a stable organization. So, if they end up getting Ben Johnson, Seattle is the one opening that would remain. What does Seattle do? Because they haven't haven't even interviewed Mike Vrabel. 
They have not interviewed Bill Belichick. They do not appear to be interested in going either direction. According to a report that came out a couple of days ago, they had Giants OC Mike Kafka in for a second interview. They Ugh. also had pa- Raiders defensive coordinator Patrick Graham in for an interview. What the hell are they doing? The other guys that are coming in are Dan Quinn, who previously worked there as their D.C., and Ajiro Evero, who was the defensive coordinator this year for the Panthers. So obviously they believe the identity for the Seattle Seahawks is defense, which makes zero sense with they what they have. They were scheduled to have an interview with Raheem Morris, but of course that isn't going to happen. because. He so then why not call Mike Vrabel? I don't understand. All Why of these not offensive just guys. Pete Carroll. Just go to Pete Carroll and say we made a mistake. Come back, sorry. please. <laughs> like, don't don't fire Pete Carroll Obvi- when you don't know who your new coach is going to be. Obviously, this owner is a you know what, and coaches are like, yeah, I don't want to play for you, so probably not. That, that, that's the funny part is like, I, as much as I agree, like, hey, it should probably still be Pete Carroll. Based on everything I read out of Seattle after that firing, it was the same thing that happened here in St. Louis with the Ruby firing where it was, hey, he lost the locker room, and it was time for a change. So okay. I, I think they're going to go after Dan Quinn. I, I Like, every name that you just read on that list, I went, no, no, Quinn. I mean, he's been there, done that. And then the I don't even remember who the last name was you read. I went, no. So, Zero, yeah, no. Um, so I, I think it's Dan Quinn. I, I think it's always been Dan Quinn, Ugh. who they viewed as the guy that would take over for Pete Carroll. And I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're just going through the Whew. interview process and just double-checking and dotting their I's and crossing their T's. But I, I think it's going to be Dan Quinn's the guy they're going to go after. If I'm Ben Johnson, I'm going to just say, I'm cool. I'm staying in Detroit. I don't know if I want to go to the Commanders. I don't want to go See, if anywhere. I, if I'm him, I think at this point he probably has to take a job because of Belichick and Vrabel remaining on the market. Because They're going to loom large next year. The yeah. best jobs. Like If I'm Mike Vrabel, I'm definitely not taking one of these two that remain. Yeah. I'm sitting out. I'll go do some, some media stuff. I'll go hop on the Bussin' with the Boys podcast. I'll do one of the, the pregame shows this year, chop it up with the guys on Fox or something like that. And then next year... Hey, maybe Andy Reid decides to retire. Maybe the Dallas Cowboys job comes open. Maybe the Eagles job comes open. Maybe the Bills job comes open. I'll take one of those jobs with the good quarterback, and you guys can figure out what you're doing in Washington. Y'all can figure out what you're doing in Seattle. I'll chill out over here. The guy that I've, I don't know if I feel bad about, but the guy that I think is, is it's the strangest for is Belichick. Because he can't do that. He's got time that is not on his side. His clock is ticking, boys. Age. This dude is getting up there in age, and he needs a job now. I think he overplayed his hand. I think that's what happened here. I think Bill Belichick thought he could just go out there and become the personnel director and the head coach of another team, and everybody was going to want him. And it turned out when he said, hey, I'm going to have full control of personnel as well, teams are like, yeah, we're not doing that. We just saw what happened in, in New England. You can come coach our team. We're not giving you full control over the personnel. And that's what's interesting because the only team that I can recall that he had a second interview with, and I don't even know if he had interviews with anybody else outside of Atlanta, but Atlanta was the only team he had a second interview with. So that tells me they got somewhat into the process. And then I think the second interview was, hey, you know, we decided it's not going to be it's not going to be your show to just run. We're keeping our GM. We're keeping the guys in the football operations. You can run things on the field and you can communicate with them but you're not getting the stamp of approval. You're not going to be the guy. And I think that's where you're right. I think he overplayed his hand. And I, that's where I, the Cowboys job, we talk about like, oh, if the Cowboys move on, will, will they go after Bill Belichick? Would the Cowboys do that? Jerry Jones loves running that freaking team. Uh, like, yeah, I, but I don't know who would be He also loves to give winning, up. too, and he hasn't been doing that with Mike I, McCarthy. It's just hard to pick a team, like even looking into the future, that would say, yeah, we've got the roster and we think we can win. 
But typically, that means you think your GM did a good job of building that team. You're not just going to give control to Belichick. Somebody else on the text line makes a fair point. Vrabel might be waiting on Ohio State as well. If he wants to get into the college side of things, I could see Vrabel being a really good college coach. I think he would recruit well. God, Vrabel, dude, do not go to college well, Yeah, but if I'm him, I just saw what happened with Jim Harbaugh and thinking, man, I go to Ohio State and I'm good for five years. I cash my ticket to whatever I want. Yeah, I'll yeah. make $10 million a year. Yeah. Just go, go be the head coach at Ohio State as alma mater. Good. Get like, rid of Ryan Day. I, I could see that being a really good fit for him as well. Well. Your hate for Ryan. It's Day. just it's a it's a it's a face thing. It's, it's so like weird. Zach Wilson. I, I can't imagine. Like yeah. I have no feelings on Ryan Day. It's, it's like Zach Wilson. It's a face thing. I just really he's I got had, a face. I don't like. I, mean, I had that with Zach Wilson. I, just, I get that with Ryan. I'm telling you, it was just that post game reaction to that Michigan win where he yeah, acted like they fair. just beat the world. The, like, the tough guy. Thing. Yeah, you beat a team that was down one player on the field. Like, calm down, Ryan. Oh, the Notre Dame win. Oh yeah, yeah. Notre Dame, not Michigan. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer with one of the more unbelievable college football stories I have ever seen. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, does the Cardinals offense get you excited? It sure as hell does not get the fast lane excited. I've got some numbers that might, you know, inspire you a little bit. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're broadcasting live at the ENB Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Jordan Deacon doing a fantastic job back in the studio for us today. Alex, one of my favorite things is when we've got somebody filling in on the board and they do the Sports Center updates. By the way, Jordan did a fantastic job there. My favorite thing, though, is when somebody has to do the Saliga yep. read. It's it's fantastic. Let's do a power rankings right now with Bradford, Grant, and Jordan of the Saliga reads. Jordan, this reads. has nothing to do with you. This is not your fault. Bradford's number one. <laughs> I'd agree. I'd it agree. is not. It is. This is not a shot against Jordan at all. Anytime that Bradford does a Sports Center update, it is appointment listening. And I'm talking about compared to every Sports Center update that I have ever heard on ESPN Radio nationally, on any station locally. Bradford Bruns is a special and unique voice when it comes to um, the, the Sports Center update. But Jordan, if it feels Jordan any better, agree. I'd put. <laughs> yeah, I'd put you above Grant, Jordan. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate that. So uh, Jordan Deacon doing a great job for us back in the studio today. All right, Alex, somebody on the text line had a great point. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line uh, to get involved in the show. By the way, you can watch us on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. People are very mean to us over there in the chat, but you can join in uh, in the snake pit over there on uh, the chat. All right. Somebody from the 636, though, I think summed up what this next segment is going to be very nicely. <laughs> oh, no. We are already into the point of the season where BK tells us, guys, the offense is actually really good. No, seriously, the offense is good. They haven't scored in a week, but they scored 12 runs a week ago. And look here, top 10 offense. Nailed it. Well They're played. The ball That's hard. definitely going to happen. Yeah. That has happened. And it will happen again, I would assume, this year. And one of the reasons why I am personally optimistic about the offense, and it is something that still gets me excited despite all of the failures that we saw a year ago, Alex, is because of this core group of seven players. Brenda Donovan, Paul Goldschmidt, Lars Newbar, Nolan Arenado, Wilson Contreras, Nolan Gorman, Jordan Walker. If you put that group of seven against really just about any lineup other than the Dodgers, Pretty decent chance I would take that group of seven. Now, if you add in the eight, nine, maybe you're taking another lineup over the Cardinals. But that seven, it's tough to beat, man. It really is. All of those players were on the Cardinals last year, though. 
Do you guys know how many games they played together? Where all seven players that I just mentioned were in the lineup together. They can't work. Like these aren't I'm not talking about three catchers that can't be in the lineup together. Those seven group of players, Donnie, Goldie, Newt, Arenado, Contreras, Gorman, and Walker. How many games do you think they played together the entirety of the twenty twenty three season? It's a BK game, T Bone, so uh, it's gotta well, be lower than people are expecting. I'll say twelve. See, I'm thinking a little higher. I'm thinking maybe like thirty. I'm thinking thirty games. What are you going with? Twelve. Final answer? Yeah. 10. Wow. Yeah, it was a lot. Well, I know, well, I know I Newt was hurt, and then Think Donovan was hurt same. towards the end of the season. Yeah. 10 games. Wow. 10 games that those guys played together. I'd say Ali Marmol doesn't know how to manage a lineup. A lot of this is injury. So you had early on in the what season. Guys that can post. Newt Bar was hurt. Modern needs to be in. And then oh, after July 31st, Donovan was on the shelf for the remainder of the season. You had Jordan Walker, who went down to AAA there for a period of time. Wilson Contreras, who, God, he seems like he could only get in the lineup one out of every three days there for a little while. Um, Thanks, Jack. Nolan Gorman was dealing with the, the back issues here and there. Like, there's just always something. There was always something, it felt like, that was preventing them from putting their best lineup on the field. And so, if I just told you, hey, the, those seven guys are going to play 100 games this year together. That's a good offense. And I know I feel like I'm the guy that's coming out here saying the Cardinals are coming. The Cardinals are coming. Paul Paul Revere is back. In those 10 games, though, last year, 9, 2, 8, 7, 0, 9, 5, 5, 1, 1. Those were their runs scored. Only a lot of zeros. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe my inconsistent offense was spot on. There were three games where they stunk, but otherwise 9-2-8-7-9-5-5. You should win those games. They ended up losing. That two was pretty bad. They, they lost the vast majority of those, unfortunately, because the pitching stunk. But <laughs> their pitching was bad. They, they had really good offensive performances. They finished averaging about 4.8 runs per game in the 10 games in which they played together. That would have been top 10 in Major League Baseball a year ago if it was for the entirety of the regular season. And again, this is an incredibly small sample size, so you don't want to make too many grandiose takeaways from it. But when you hear that, Alex, those seven players that we're excited about played a total of 10 games together last year, and when they did, the lineup was really good. Does it get you excited about the 2024 offense? It does get me excited. I mean, they got a lot of guys in there that I look at and say, like, damn, this could be a lethal offense. I think the part that I always temper my my expectations and excitement, you know, pre-mad BK, uh, is what the offense did last year. And, yeah, when they're together, they were lethal. And when they weren't together, it fell apart. But that's part of the the skepticism because, like, nobody's going to stay healthy for that entirety of the season. You're going to lose key pieces in that offense. How do you respond with it? The depth is always in question. And right now we're talking Matt Carpenter getting those next at bats if certain guys go yeah, down. We are. And well, <laughs> but even if they don't go down, you know, you got to put good vibes in that lineup, I would assume. But Amen. when you got those guys, that is where the excitement comes from. It's why the Cardinals believe they can be com- uh, competitive without having to go get one of those top pitching uh starters for your rotation it's why they weren't aggressive in free agency because they do feel like when this offense is together and healthy they're a dangerous club yeah and see i i think i think this is the number that encouraged me the most i mean you just ran off those numbers where they played just 10 games together up until july 31st the cardinals had the seventh best baseball on offense in terms of ops at 761 that's with those guys only playing 10 games together and i cut it off at july why? Because then they trade everybody away. That everybody knew the season was over. And let's just let's not kid ourselves. 
the Cardinals just kind of threw in the towel and said, let's just get through the next two months. They started putting guys on the aisle saying, we just got to worry about 2024. These next two months are more about development than anything right. else. So those shouldn't those numbers are in the offensive numbers. And when we think of the offense as a whole, we have recency bias. We think of when that offense was playing in August and September. And that really wasn't the Cardinals' offense. Now, where I would say that some of my concern comes from, and I think it's totally fair to have it, is I am I am super excited about this offense because I look at it and I go, wow, they were seventh in OPS until the trade deadline. I look at it and I go, man, they've got like six or seven guys that could hit 20 home runs. They've got some guys that also, by the way, can steal some bags. Lars Newport's got a little <laughs> flash to him. You feel like, the excitement? I, it's yeah, they, won't, they won't steal the bases. Like, like I, I'm super excited. Like Everything I just said is like, yeah. oh, my God, this could be great. This is the best Cardinals offense since 2013. I can feel uh, it. All right, calm down. Uh, Low but bar I, to clear, but a, a bar yeah, nonetheless. 2011. <laughs> but the reason that I, I think there a lot of people are, skept, are skeptical of it is, one, see bias, but two, like, you just read off they've only played 10 games together. Like, that's a hello, red flashing alarms going off. Like, I, I said this the other day. Like, I feel like for the last three, four years, every season I've gone in really excited about the offense going, well, they've got like five guys that could hit 20 home runs, and then something goes wrong. Like, Tyler O'Neill doesn't stay healthy, and then all of a sudden the offense is like, yeah, but that oh was my a God, good thing. Have, well, it was last year, but uh, then all, all of a sudden the offense just isn't the same. It doesn't have the same pop. Then they're missing a bat. Or, uh, you know, somebody ends up being hurt for a big point. Nolan Gorman ends up spending a lot of time not on the I.L., but and on somebody's the bench because it's Somebody from this list is like, yeah, like, maybe last year was real and Goldie's starting to go through his decline. Maybe Donovan and Newbar aren't going to be healthy this year. Maybe Gorman's back issues are, are just something that's going to plague him his entire yeah. career. Like, somebody from this list of seven players is very likely and, going to disappoint. That's why, like, yes, I am super excited about the offense. There are some flashing red alarms of hey, Newt hasn't really put together a healthy season yet. He spent time in, on the I.L. last year. He, I think he dealt with some injuries in the year prior to that. Gorman dealing with the back. We'll see if he's got it figured out. I mean, you mentioned Paul Goldschmidt dealing with the decline. What about Arnato? We haven't mentioned about his decline, maybe potentially. No, he dealt fine, with man. a back issue a lot last year, which was alarming. And by the way, two of his three seasons here in St. Louis have been kind of disappointing. Like There are some flashing red alarm signs going off for me. But I think just thinking of, okay, if it does click and they stay healthy, they should be one of the best offenses in the league, and they should be able to carry this mediocre pitching staff. We get this from the 314. No, excuse me. This is from the 618. Uh, oh, that's a good name for it. The Cardinals don't go big game hunting because the STL media has weak ass kiss members like BK. I would say. No, no yeah, weak kiss ass is probably spot on. I I can't imagine there was anybody hammering the the Cardinals have to go out and get a second pitcher more than we did. Now, other shows might have done it as much and other people might have written about it as we're in the team photo in the words of Tony LaRussa. Like us talking about the offense as a positive does not then remove the questions from the pitching. But I can't bring up the pitching. We should have something on our YouTube stream. Whenever we talk Cardinals, that's a positive. The Cardinals number two starter says, need. Um, PSA, BK and Ferrario acknowledge pitching might be a problem <laughs> for the Cardinals in 2024. Like, we should just have that on the on the scroll bug on the bottom of the screen at all times. Kiss ass! Sorry. But the reason why I am positive about the offense is because there's reasons to be optimistic about it. Like, the fast lane should be excited about this. Oh. I think they're just flat out wrong that they're not excited about what this offense I just think could they be. Need a hug. I, 
Don't, I, man. I'm telling you. I th- This is an <laughs> analytics. Like, don't get into the numbers. Don't get into the minutia. Don't get into anything else. Just think to yourself, do the say it aloud test. Brendan Donovan, Paul Goldschmidt, Lars Newbar, Nolan Arenado, Wilson Contreras, Nolan Gorman, Jordan Walker in the same lineup for 100 games next year. What does that look like? It's probably good. You have right-handed and left-handed hitters in there. You have a combination of on-base and power. You have guys that play with a little bit of speed at the bottom of your lineup in terms of the two players that I didn't mention there with Mason Wynn and uh, Tommy Edmond. You have everything that teams crave from a pure lineup perspective. And also, you don't have a number two starter. And this is why you should be going for that number two starter. It's why I would have traded for Chris Sale. It's why I would have made a move for Robbie Ray. It's why I would have gone out there and tried to get Tyler Glass now. Go be uber aggressive for one of these pitchers because, man, your lineup is is set. It's really good on paper. Injuries could derail it just like they could for the Dodgers or for the Phillies or for the Braves or anybody else out there. But take advantage of what you have that is good, that people are excited about and should be excited about. And the Cardinals took their foot right up to that line, as they typically do, and even, like, dipped their toe in the water. Ooh, that's cold. (laughs) And said, whoa, we're not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Not this time, boys. Uh -uh. No, 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 no. I know we lost 90 games for the first time in 15 years, but we ain't doing that. The problem is you can't keep you dip your toe in every year and keep saying it's cold. Are you going to jump in sooner or later? No, no. I'm just going to stay on the side of the pool. Look, man, buy a I'm damn wetsuit so I'm, you can scuba and stop snorkeling. I'm going to win my 85, 90 games, and you're going to like it. I just you could still scuba in the bathtub. Does the offense get you excited? No. Really? <laughs> yeah, that gets me excited. After all that, <laughs> I did the whole like. Yeah, but like, look I'm, over here. I'm like, and they gave you the number, and then we talked about it. I'm like it was... Stalter, though. You know, you pissed me off five years ago. It's <laughs> you got five more years before you get me happy. Coming up next, the juncture here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Ladies and gentlemen, I have found a gentleman that is Alex Ferrario's spirit animal. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. We have uh, Jordan Deacon back in the studio for us today doing the Lord's work. As she is working in the studio, we are out at the E&B Granite Studios, out at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, his name is Kayshawn Boutte, and he is in a rough go of it right now. Boutte. You got to turn that mic on. No, they heard me. They did. There would be case, yeah. They heard me. Because we're sitting so damn close. Guy gives me no space. If you're not familiar with Kayshawn Boutte's work, he oh. was previously a wide receiver at LSU. And his first season at LSU, man, was he a really good player. And then things kind of went south for him uh, at LSU. That first season was the COVID year. You may remember him just lighting up the Missouri Tigers defensively and that huge win that Mizzou had against LSU uh, at home in the pandemic season. Alex, since then, he hasn't really been the same player. And maybe that's because he has been a bit, a bit busy with his gambling habits. And I'd argue unlucky. 
Yesterday, he uh, was arrested because he placed a total of 8,900 bets as an underaged individual. If the guy would have just put together an 8,900 bet parlay, he wouldn't have this problem. (laughs) Well, wait for us. We'll get there. Uh, by the name of Kayshawn Butte 01. That was what his, oh, his username was. Get a better <laughs> damn username. He, he was underage, and he said that he was at the legal age, and somehow he Just, thought he was going to get away with this by labeling himself as the username Kayshawn Butte 01. At least put it as Booty 01 to where <laughs> people wouldn't really get it. Alex would totally do this. <laughs> So he get the hell out of here. I'm smarter his, than that to his, use my username. His would be not Alex Ferrario. <laughs> <laughs> not the real Alex. He's so much better than that. In those 8,900 bets, he bet a total of $635,000. Alex, he lost a total of 81000 So honestly, all things considered, yeah, he could have been a lot worse yeah. at this betting side of things. What was he betting only a couple dollars? He did bet on himself. As a part oh, of a, a eight-leg parlay. <laughs> Always bet on Boutte. <laughs> Please tell me he lost because In of 2022, the bet including him scoring a touchdown yes. and getting over 82 yards yes. against Florida State. He did neither of those two things. He yeah, finished the game with 20 yards oh. and oh. zero touchdowns oh. in the game. His quarterback had to have had the under in total yards and no touchdowns for him. And I that's have why. never seen a story quite like this that is so incredibly stupid. Like the the Jamison Williams thing where he bet on a different sport while he was in the locker room or in the facilities with the Detroit Lions. Like, I could see how you'd make that mistake. It's young, dumb, whatever. They probably told him, hey, don't don't bet on other sports while you're in the facility. And he messed up. He got caught, and, you know, he's, he's suspended as a result. Did he use it as Jay Williams 8? But, like, <laughs> he's allowed to bet on other sports. He can bet on baseball in his free time from home if he wants to. Kayshawn Boutte was spending $630,000 under the age that you need to be in order to gamble legally in his state by using the be- the the name Kayshawn Boutte, 0-1. This is the, the single dumbest story <laughs> I can possibly imagine. When he gets, I, I could totally see Alex doing it. When he gets drafted, I can't he wait. He did. It was, well, he didn't go drafted. He was a member of the New England Patriots when he was uh, a... Oh, was I Taylor. thought this was a dude still in college. No, 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 no. He oh. was in the NFL this past year. <laughs> oh, well. Unfortunately for him, I he didn't needed, know that. He needed to pay for his I was going to say, habits, I man. wish I would have known that story. Otherwise, I'd be betting on Boutte all season. <laughs> N- NIL wasn't enough. <laughs> he had to go, NIL bro. Man, <laughs> Damn. Can you imagine? I, I mean, I do think this tells you a lot about how much he was making in NIL. If he had $630,000 yeah. that he was willing to bet on sports. And be willing to lose. <laughs> I the, the whole name aspect, I just can't imagine. Like, I would think that he knew he couldn't be doing this, especially gambling on himself. And I can't imagine when it pops up and says, create a username. And you just couldn't even, like, auto-generate something. You just had to go with, let's see, let me use my first name. 
my last name and the zero, number that's, one. I mean, that's about Who as would am, know? that's about as amateur I mean, as you can ask. To be fair, I've always said if I were to create a troll Twitter account, it would be called not at EK Sports Talk. So well, very true, but that's a totally different person. They'll <laughs> yeah, never exactly. know. Somebody on the text line said, "Be fair, guys." He had another username too. It was Keyshawn Butte Seven. <laughs> Coming up in about Come fifteen on, minutes or so, we're getting into the weekend look ahead for the NFL. We got two games ahead of us. We're going to break these things down in every which way. We'll do that in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Alex, a uh, reader, suggested new line combinations for the St. Louis Blues. And I'll be honest, it piqued my interest. I'll see if it does the same for you next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Omaha! We got an audible to call here. We'll get into the line combination that I would be find interesting if I was uh, in charge of the St. Louis Blues here in just a minute. But Alex, there's some news. T-Bone Pass news? Along. Here for the Missouri Tigers. Oh, Dennis Gates got another recruit? No, nope, no, nope, needs nope, it. No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. He does. He does. <laughs> Do they transfer in the, season? Because uh, that'd be nice. They can, but we're, we're past the... Uh, eligibility requirements so the Missouri Tigers have announced their next defensive coordinator it is not a name that many of you are probably familiar with his name is Corey Batoon now Corey Batoon has spent the past what is this two three seasons as an assistant coach out at South Alabama he was their defensive coordinator this past season um, he was named a Broyles Award nominee in 2021 after the team allowed the fewest rushing yards in total offense uh, since they moved to the NCAA level in 2012. Uh, they also had 25 takeaways that season and had the second highest sack total in program history as well. I, I will say this. He appears to be highly respected by other people inside of the industry and South Alabama is a program right now that appears to be on the rise. The other thing that I find really interesting about this hire, T-Bone, you mentioned this, um, and it, it's something that I was looking into. Prior to his experience at South Alabama, I do not believe that he had previously called a, a defense on his own. I don't think he was like the, the head man in charge of a defense. He was just one of the assistants on these staffs. He was on some pretty damn good staffs, though, for good teams. From 2012 to 2016, he was in the SEC as an assistant at Ole Miss. In 2017, he went to be an assistant coach under Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. From 2018 to 2019, he went down to Florida to be under Nick Rolovich. Now, you may f be familiar with that name because of his experience at Washington State when things went kind of south for him because of the whole COVID thing. They ended up firing him, but... Nick Rolovich was a really good defensive mind. It just the other stuff kind of got in the way of him as a head coach. So he, he was an assistant under a very good coach there. And then he went to Liberty in 2020 to coach under Hugh Freeze once again. And now he's down at South Alabama coaching his own uh, his own defense. I find this to be a really compelling hire because one thing that we have seen with Eli Drinkwitz, he's, he's been kind of looking for the next guy, right? The, the next guy that can be an up-and-coming coach. 
He saw that with Kirby Moore on the offensive side of things. Kirby Moore, while, yes, famous for his last name and his brother being Kellen, Kirby was a first-year offensive coordinator at Florida or at, at Fresno State. He had coached under some really good offensive staffs, Kalen DeBoer being one of them, the guy that is now the Alabama head coach. That guy was at Fresno State with Kellen Moore. Um, so I, I find this to be a really interesting hire for, for the University of Missouri. It's not a name that people will recognize, but it is something that I think you should be excited about if you're a, a Mizzou fan because of the ceiling of what this hire could now, be. Now, I might just be out of the loop, but was Blake Baker a name recognizable when they brought him in as the defensive coordinator? Like, I know he was at LSU as a linebacker's coach. He had been the, the defensive coordinator at Miami. So he was so, a little bit more recognizable. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I thought of was, like, Eli Drinkowitz built up his own stock to the point, like, I could trust the guy because you put Blake Baker in that spot. He had a lot of success. You designated your role as an offensive coordinator to somebody else, and he had a lot of success. Like, I'm going to give the guy the benefit of doubt right now, and somebody that you look at and you say, man, I think I would have liked a or preferred a – a, a bigger name for that spot, but maybe in the sense, if I'm in the mindset of Eli Drinkwitz here, if I bring in a big name, there's a lot of ego that comes into that, whereas I'm bringing somebody in who's trying to prove himself in the SEC, that might benefit this squad. By the way, the South Alabama head coach in his time uh, at South Alabama for Corey Batoon, uh, he is now going to be the defensive coordinator at Alabama, the, the guy that was previously South Alabama's head coach who Corey Batoon had been the defensive coordinator for. That individual, Kane Womack, is now the defensive coordinator under Kalen DeBoer at Alabama. So this is this is a really good staff that you want to be pulling from. I guess my question would be, I, I don't know if Corey Batum actually called the defense there yeah. uh, prior to this past season. This was probably his first full season in which he was uh, calling the defense. Yeah, and that's the part that is surprising to me because I thought for sure if you're Missouri, you're going to a guy that had previous experience calling a defense or – was a big name and big ticket item, and instead they went the route of both potentially. We'll we'll see. I mean, I I don't really have like a. I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is a bad hire or a great hire, but it is interesting that when you look at like his career, yeah, he's been on some really good staffs before, but he's called a defense what maybe a year, maybe two, and that's an interesting decision. And it wasn't like it was in like a bottom feeder team and like a power five conference. No, it was with South Alabama. So it's an interesting hire. I'll be curious to see how this works out because you're right. I mean. Drinkwitz has earned the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he nailed his offensive and defensive coordinator hires with uh, Baker and, and then with his OC now. So I, it'll be I'll be interested to see how this works out. This is maybe the most important hire, the most consequential hire on the field for Eli Drinkwitz since he's been at Missouri um, because he he got it wrong. Now, Steve Wilkes is a good coach. He's the defense coordinator for the 49ers who might be playing in the Super Bowl um, two weeks from now. So D- Steve Wilkes was – Objectively, a good hire. It just didn't work in the college game. I think his yeah. defense was too complicated. It didn't translate to the college level the way that anybody expected it to. But, I mean, I think you can see if, if Kyle Shanahan is hiring him as his defensive coordinator in the NFL, the guy's a good coach. He, probably a good hire. just didn't work. And that's fine. Sometimes that happens, right, for fit, whatever. Um, so it didn't work there. But then he goes out and he, he makes the right hire. He, he gets Blake Baker, who completely overhauled the defense. And then this past season, for the first time, he decides to hire an offense coordinator. He goes out and he gets Kirby Moore, which accelerated the rebuild offensively and allowed them to have one of the best seasons of the last 20 years for Missouri football. Now you had to go replace Blake Baker at the last possible minute, and you were able to do so with a guy who appears to be highly respected across college football. Uh, the, The end result of the 2024 Mizzou football season will be determined by whether or not this was the right hire. 
I mean, that's it, it's pretty plain and simple. They've got the talent. I know that they they have the talent in place, and now it comes down to is this guy going to be ready to take this kind of a step of going from the defensive coordinator under a defensive-minded head coach at South Alabama to being the guy in charge of the defense at a program like Mizzou in a year in which they are hoping to make, no, they are expecting to make the college football playoff. Those are the expectations heading in to week one. So if you missed it, uh, the news here on BK and Ferrario, according to reports nationally, as ESPN specifically, Corey Batoon, the former defensive coordinator at South Alabama, will be the next D.C. for the University of Missouri. Their long search has officially come to an end. All right, Alex, coming up next, let's get to the line combination that we think the Blues could try. This was proposed to Jeremy Rutherford in his questions and answers piece earlier today over on The Athletic. It certainly piqued my interest. I want to hear if it piques yours as well. We'll get to that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So, Alex, earlier today I was reading over on The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford's latest article. It was a really good one. It was the questions from the readers, and some of them were uh, pretty interesting, thought-provoking for sure. One of them really stood out to me, though. He was asked by a, a reader, would you make this swap? Why don't we ever see Shin centering Buchnevich and Kairou? Shin was at his best with Jaden Schwartz and Vladimir Tarasenko, and we really haven't seen, or we really have seen already, that Thomas can elevate other guys as well. So why not try to produce two strong lines at the top? JR's response was as follows. It's a good question. Looking at the natural stat trick data as to how that combo has played together as a line, it's pretty surprising. Since Buchnevich arrived in 2021, Buch. Shin and Kairou have only played 100 minutes at five on five together. They were on the ice for seven goals for and just two against this year, though. That line has only been together on the ice for 10 minutes at five on five. It's a small sample, but in the past, it certainly worked. The problem is then you'd have to figure out who you play with Thomas. You've got Jake Neighbors and Brandon Saad, who are both responsible players. But are you maximizing Thomas's ability? In JR's opinion, it's at least worth a try. Alex, I don't think this is something you do right now in the midst of a potential winning streak as you're going on the road and despite the underlying numbers, getting points, right? But it is something that definitely piqued my interest as I thought about it a little bit more. Do you try getting more out of Shin by putting Booch and Kairou on his line? And then we've talked about putting Jake Neighbors on a line with Robert Thomas in the past, maybe trying to find out, okay, what's the best combination with neighbors and Thomas on that top line? Is that something you would consider? Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I would even consider it right now. Like, of course, you don't break it up tonight because Braden Shen's got, what, goals in three straight games. That line is, is zooming right now. So you don't mess with it. But if a loss occurs, I would consider doing it sooner rather than later, mostly because, like, you really haven't seen much out of Booch or Kairou recently. So if I could get those guys going on top of a Braden Chen who's performing well and put a Jake Neighbors with a Robert Thomas as a pair, you definitely at least investigate it, I feel like. But the, the, until that clicks, and it's not going to click until you get another goal scorer on that top line with Robert Thomas, I think you ha at least have to keep one of 
Kairu or Booch with Thomas because then you're not getting the best out of a Robert Thomas. It's kind of like what O'Reilly was last year, where like you knew he was better than what his numbers were, but you were trying to get the best out of him with Josh Levo and Brandon Saad. So I think Braden Shen was a little bit of just that confidence of being the captain and the team struggling, and now it's kind of starting to work towards him. He's getting those bounces, but you got neighbors and Saad clicking. But yeah, I mean, I, I love this 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 ask from the the writer because I think a Pavel Buchnevich, a Braden Chen, and Jordan Cairo would, in most circumstances, other teams would look at and say, okay, that's the line we got to worry about tonight. But you also can't forget about a Robert Thomas, who's their number one centerman. That's how you divvy up that offense. Yeah, I, I think when you see the next kind of two, three game stretch where the offense really goes cold. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them explore this. I, I think you're right. You don't break it up tonight. And honestly, that you struggle tonight, I wouldn't break it up either. This would maybe a post all-star break experiment. Could be. Because I, I think they got a good thing going right now. But it would be interesting to see because we talked about it two days ago, three days ago, where Robert Thomas, number one centerman, can kind of lift up a second line winger to make him look like a top line winger. A lot of the best players can do that when you look at top lines across the NHL. Now, can he do that with two guys? Can he lift up two wingers that probably aren't top-line wingers that are probably better off like on a second, third line, like a neighbors in Assad? Probably not, but I, I think it's worth experimenting and seeing. I, I don't mind the idea of it, but I think you're right. Long-term, it's probably best to have a Buchnevich or a Kairou with Jordan or with uh, Robert Thomas, and then you can insert one person into that other wing. I don't know if you can do that for two people and then just move those other two top guys right now down to that second line with Shen. I think when you go off of pairings, which is how coaches like to do it, I, I know a lot of people want the pairing to be a Thomas and Kairou or has been a Thomas and Booch. I think future, when you talk like two to three years from now, the pairing is probably going to be Thomas and Neighbors. Because you've got your power forward and your playmaker, and the question is, who's that goal scorer on that wing? Maybe it's Thomas Cairo and Neighbors. Maybe it's a Thomas Snuggerud and Neighbors. But I think the pairing moving forward might actually be Thomas and Neighbors, and I think the pairing should be moving forward Shen and Cairo because the best those two have been have been when they've played on lines together, or at least consistently, it's been Shen with Kairou, and then it's just been that third piece you're trying to figure out with them. Could you do Booch, Thomas, and Neighbors? I think you should try it. I think you did do – yeah, we did. We saw Booch, Thomas, and Neighbors uh, in that stretch where those three guys were all point-per-game players in, in mid-November into December because yeah. Kairou was playing with Shen. And remember, prior to this streak that he's been on where he's got eight points in eight games, Shen had gone like 17 games without a point. The last time he had a point prior to the stretch was when he and Kairu were put together. What I wouldn't mind is a combination of Booch, Thomas, Neighbors, Shin, Kairu, Torovchenko, and then Saad, Hayes, and Walker. Yeah, I, I could I could see something like that maybe working. The problem is like uh, they they haven't you're, had you're you're a, you're one or two yeah of course short like, but like you, you don't have a full top nine. I right think Torovchenko actually works well with Kevin Hayes because Torovchenko just stands in front of the net and Hayes is really good at puck right. possession. I, I would keep Brandon Sod with Braden Shannon. I would put Jordan Kairou on that line because you've got your goal scorer. Brandon Sod is kind of a jack of all trades for you. He could go to the front of the net. He could retrieve pucks, and Braden Shen's your centerman. And then that neighbors Thomas and Butch which I think that could be a line. Like we talk about, you know, how does this line stack up against other Stanley Cup contending lines? I don't think anybody on that top line is a superstar. I think Thomas would be the closest to it. 
but I think you have more of an identity with that line and what you're trying to accomplish rather than where it's at right now with Booch Thomas and Cairo. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get into one's got to go, 314-399-9646. You give us four four different options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. But, Alex, there was a bit of news the last couple of days, a uh, big picture in the NHL, which had to do with expansion. According to a bunch of different reports out there, there is a an ownership group in Salt Lake City that is prepared to take on and would like to have as soon as possible an expansion team in Salt Lake City. When these stories get announced, typically it means something's close. Now, that doesn't mean that there's going to be an expansion team in Salt Lake City starting this offseason, right? Like that, that is way too rapid of a pace. But they said as soon as next year, they could be prepared to take on a team if that means like Arizona moving up to Salt Lake City based upon their current arena setup. And they're planning to build a new arena in the area as well. Alex, how far off are we from the NHL expanding in your mind? I mean, I think the fact that a team came forward and said, we've got the finances, we are ready to bring a team to Salt Lake City, that's, I mean, that's a massive step in terms of, like, this could happen sooner rather than later. I think it's going to have to be Gary Bettman saying, like, cool, we're ready to bring in another team. And, I mean, I know they lived with the Vegas and the 31 teams there for a while, but it was only a few years later that they brought in Seattle and said, like, they're ready too. So if Bettman's going to bring one, and I think there's going to have to be another that's ready so that there's 34 teams rather than 33. Um, but, I, I mean, they're going to have to solve Arizona first, which I, I thought they were supposed to have a solution to that of this offseason. Maybe not. Once they get that figured out, then you get to the CBA threshold, which we looked it up. 2025 is when that contract expires. Um, but – the Seattle or the state of or the city of Seattle, like in 2018, basically said we're good to go. Or I think it was 2017 said we're good to go. 2018 was when they were awarded it, and what that expansion draft didn't take place until 2020 off season. Uh, 21, I think. 21 was first year. So 2021, 22. So the fall of 2021. So it took a year for the NHL to approve Seattle getting an NHL team. So let's go down that path. Okay, cool. Next off season, let's say they say cool, Utah's ready to go. And then you've got three years before they are ready to install them into the NHL. So, I mean, if it happens, and I don't know if it's going to happen yet because Bettman kind of pushed back when they talked about it about a month ago. Uh, you're talking 2028, 20, maybe? 2029? 20, 27, would yeah. be, or somewhere around there, yeah. So, I, and I mean, NHL is going to be bringing in two more teams because what does that mean? owners get a ton more money. Like, you're talking over a billion dollars for each team. Um, so they will be bringing in more. I think there are other things to, to solve first for Gary Bettman before they bring the and, team over. And, BK, you mentioned this off-air when we were talking about this before the show. You know, I the, the reason you see them pushing so hard to get Arizona figured out is so they can expand to Salt Lake City rather than relocate that team. Right. Why? Because then you get that billion-dollar entry fee when you do expand. So... I think it is coming. Um, I don't know how big a fan I actually am of it, but I, it is coming, and I think it will be right around what you said. Anywhere between that 2027-2029 range, they'll have the arena, they'll have the team, and you'll get an expansion draft that goes with it. So I, I think we're just a couple years away, and then we'll see them go to Salt Lake City. It's a good time to do it, too. you got to imagine that the cap keep going up $4 million. You're talking about 12 extra million dollars for salary cap teams, and then that's going to – what they're going to have to accomplish is – 
to recreate the Vegas expansion draft, not so much the Seattle. The excitement that was built around that and the roster that they put in place. I feel like Seattle didn't live up to those expectations. Because teams 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 were smarter, yeah. (laughs) Teams learn what not to do based upon the Vegas draft. But if the cap is going up and there's a lot more money to go around and teams have to move on from better players to, you know. I'd say it's the opposite, right? If you've got more money to go around, then you don't have to shed that salary. Maybe, but that Seattle one felt like because it was such a tight cap because you just had the pandemic and it wasn't going anywhere that there were was the problem were less with likely. the Vegas one that the teams didn't want Vegas to take a certain player, and so they would like send draft capital there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they didn't do that with they Seattle because they, yeah, they they protected those players. They're like, okay, yeah, we'll just go ahead and make this work. Yeah. So I I don't think that you're going to see teams make the same kind of dumb mistakes that they did uh, with the Vegas expansion draft that being said Vegas was also just really well run like we've seen that now since as well like it wasn't just a one-off of they got super lucky no their entire rebuilding process or their building plan has been really smart from day one yeah, F them picks and it doesn't yeah. matter who's in charge who's coaching like they've just had a really well-run organization the other thing people really want to play in Las Vegas like it's a it's an attractive Makes market sense. for players to play in I don't know if the same thing will be true of Salt Lake. Is City. Utah tax exempt? Uh, I'm not positive. I was going to say because that's know. the. I mean, that's the other factor into it as well. You get a team like that every once, but then you're also going to have to go to the realignment of the divisions again because you can't put another team into the Western Conference. You're going to have to move somebody out of the Eastern Conference. Which I mean, Salt Lake's going to be moving to the Pacific. So do you take a team out of the Pacific and move into the East? I don't think you can. So you're talking somebody from the Central moves to the Eastern Conference. Utah does have state income taxes, okay. so um, that changes it a little bit. Out of curiosity, how do they compare to others? Uh, it's about the same. Yeah. So yeah, it they have stayed in. Columbus, I wouldn't go so. play there. Um, you're I've close to Salt Lake you're City. close to Vegas. I've heard it's nice though. Yeah, I've heard it's, it's nice. up and coming. So. You're close to Vegas, so I mean yeah. it's good enough. Just a little drive down. It's like yeah. your Vegas. He's Alex. That's T Bone. I'm VK. Coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line for one's got to go. You give us four options, we'll tell you which one's got to go. You're on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's gotta go here on BK and Ferrario. Guys, you guys have lost me. I'm now down the rabbit hole of trying to find more information on Missouri's defensive coordinator. Uh, pretty excited. Sounds pretty like excited a weekend about thing. this. By the way, for those Focus. curious, has he ever called a defense before? He has. He called the defense at um, South Alabama. Oh, Their head good. coach, who was a defensive mind, a powerhouse, called the defense there, and he allowed Corey Batoon to oh, do that. That was nice. South so. Alabama, a powerhouse, I've heard in college football. That's right. Boy, we should start calling in the Alabama show. Did you guys know he didn't call defense last year? Oh, you should panic in Alabama. It's true. It's a really <laughs> good point. All right, let's get to one's got to go. Let's start with this from the 314. One's got to go St. Louis edition, the Arch Enterprise Center, Bush Stadium, or the new MLS Stadium, Alex? Oh, this is easy. It's always going to be the Arch the arch never stays in this category. I think the arch is way too uh, over-exaggerated on the excitement that you get when you go there. I'm kind of with you. I, I would say the arch. I 
once you've been once, you've done it, and there's not a whole lot else to do. So I, I would say that one's out. And it's easy in this one because every time I go to Enterprise, anytime I go to Bush Stadium, anytime I go to the MLS Stadium, I don't know what I'm going to see. Yeah, instead of the arch, just go on the Ferris wheel at Union Station. It's the same thing. Once you get up top, you can see all of St. Louis. Uh, if we don't have the arch, what do we have? Uh, uh, Forest Park, a free zoo, Ted Drews. Monument-wise. you need a monument to be yeah. well, who cares? I feel like city. you do. Really? I feel like you do, yeah. Pretty yeah. much every Oh, yeah? What does New one? York have? <laughs> the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> they do? No, that's, that's Vegas. No, Vegas has the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, I'm going to like, think of a city that doesn't have something. I feel like if you're a big city, you got to have something. you got to have Atlanta something. What's Atlanta known for? What's Houston known for? Yeah, I went to Houston. I can tell you, I did not find anything to do in Houston. <laughs> Well, that's one of the issues. I mean, like, cool. You got the Stan Musial Bridge. It's the same thing. It's a monument. Okay, there we go. Let's get rid of the arch. All right. Uh, yeah! 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service X line. One's got to go. Beer, soda, juice, or coffee? Beer, this one's soda, easy. Soda. Juice or coffee. Easily soda. Uh, your health freak. I would actually it. go juice. I think every time I say, like, oh, I'd like a nice glass of juice, I just go with water instead. Yeah, but it's a better mixer for the liquor. No, I just take liquor straight, man. I don't need this mixer. Yeah, I'm saying, like if you're making a good cocktail, sometimes nah, you use juice. Just take the like liquor. Lime juice, for example. No, that's not juice. That's a fruit. I'm not. I don't do a lot of cocktails anyway. So I don't need the you... juice. I put the whole lime in. Okay. <laughs> also, who drinks lime juice? Well, I would if it was. I'm in thinking. A cocktail, you said juice. But... I'm thinking apple juice, pineapple I'll juice, orange like, juice, yeah, pineapple juice. Yeah, but I'm thinking I... like stuff you drink. I I don't do a lot of cocktails, so like I could go without juice. I'd rather have. I, I don't mean, know why you're laughing. You mine. said juice, apple juice, orange juice, pineapple juice, grape juice. The juices. Get rid of those. I've always been out on juice ever since I had OJ Simpson. My my appendectomy when I was in high school because they they made me drink prune juice, and ever since then I've been ah, out. Uh, they want, they wanted you. They wanted you to drop yeah. the deuce. Yeah, that was nasty stuff. Prune juice will do that to you. All right, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for one's got to go. One's got to go. Extremely slow drivers, extremely fast drivers, or bobbing and weaving drivers. Oh, I would go with the super fast ones. The slow ones are annoying, but you can kind of find a way around. The fast ones, when I'm like, for example, when I'm like driving home from play by play at night, and all of a sudden there's zoom, and it comes flying right by me, scares the crap out of me every time. Oh, it's slow. That's dri- Alex. No, it yeah, is. It no, is. I'm the bobbing I, and trust weaving. Trust me, I rode with him to Nashville. <laughs> I'm the bobbing and weaving guy because are I you? hate slow drivers. Yeah. Oh, I hate Just you. Get the hell out uh, of it. If you're going to drive that's slow, the one that's got to go. You know, like if you want to go fast, you want to go slow, that's fine. Don't be going in and out of lanes. Like, well, I not the Fast and the Furious. We're just trying to get to work. Right? I only go in and out of lanes when people are like driving 15 miles below the speed yeah. limit. Like, get the hell out of the way. If you're going to drive that slow, don't drive in the middle freaking lane oh. of the highway. Stay in the far right lane. This morning, I went to a coffee shop in like uh, right off of Dorset, 270 Dorset. Um, and as I was getting into the parking lot, there you have to turn right into the parking lot from the main street. This guy is getting ready to do exactly that, but he's waiting and waiting and waiting and does not use his his turn signal at all. It doesn't flip the blinker on. Oh, that pisses so me off. There's somebody else that. that's getting ready to turn towards him, and so they end up instead of turning because they like start to show that they're going to turn, they keep going straight. And then this guy, like, nearly hit him. Oh, it was terrifying. You know the other He's time? laying on the horn, giving him the mother oh, yeah. bleeper and the finger. Oh, it was the other rough. time I bob and weave rough. is when people get me tight in with a semi-truck. Like, I don't like being next to semi-trucks. Uh, I, and if there's yeah. a slow person driving next to it and I got to get around the truck, I'll, like, 
I'll go in and out to try and get through. So what we came to the conclusion on this one's got to go is it was an experience to ride to and from Nashville with Alex Ferrari. Yeah, but T-Bone complained the whole time because he's like, I need to eat, but I need to sit down when I eat. I can't eat in the yeah, car. Because as we just clarified, by the way, he's a fast driver that bobs always, and he wants to eat while he's driving. Think about the Wait, combination. You, you like eating while you drive? Yeah. Yeah. It's called multitasking. <laughs> Learn how to do it. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> I don't, it's, I'm sorry, was, I'm not Nemo driving was, 50 miles an I hour was, on the highway. I'm trying know, to get I'll, somewhere. At least I know I'm going to get there safe. Yeah, I'd like to get there less than eight hours from now. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. 401's got to go. We, uh, <laughs> Planning to. We've certainly brought up some some scars that have not yet been healed uh, between these two. One's got to go St. Louis Zoo edition. <laughs> the penguins, the polar bear, the ele- elephants, or the tigers. Alex, when we went down to Disney World last week, we went to Animal Kingdom. You went to the zoo instead of Disney World? No, we went to Animal Kingdom, and they have the, the safari that you go on. The lions were roaring as we As, as we they do. By. As they do. Genuinely one of the cooler experiences of my life. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. I'm easily You've amused. You've never seen a lion roar before? <laughs> have you? Do you go to the zoo with the lions they're roaring always, very so often? They're always sleeping yeah, when they're, I no, go. No, they're yeah. always gone when I go. Exactly. And it was cool that just, they were walking around just, on the cliff. It looked I just don't really think I my life picture, needs to see a lion roar. Wait until you see it. I lion. don't think I do. <laughs> I just picture BK going like, whoa. And Karen's like, you're 30. <laughs> 31, first of all. And second of all, that was exactly my reaction. I looked over. I said, Karen, did you see that? Did you see that? It was it was genuinely amazing. And anybody on our text line that has ever seen a lion roar in person will tell you it is amazing. It's an amazing thing. He, he, sees, a, he sees an eagle fly. Whoa, that bird just flew over my head. No, because you see that often. Like if I if I see a deer in Missouri, I'm not like, oh, a deer. No, I see that often. That's Sla- terrifying. He slams on his brakes. Whoa, that deer just jumped over the road. However, however. Did you just see that lion roar? Yeah, if I went to the mountains and saw Bigfoot, I would be like, Did you Well, yeah. It's the equivalent of likelihood <laughs> of seeing a lion roar. I could turn on Animal Planet when I get home and see yeah. a lion roar. Yeah, that is not the same. You could also go to Disney World and see the Eiffel Tower, or you could go to Vegas and see the Eiffel yeah, Tower. I That's have, not the same as going have, to France. I have no need to go to France. I go to Vegas, and I see the Eiffel Tower at Paris. In fact, I've been up in the Eiffel yeah. Tower. We still have not answered the question. I I what the other ones penguins. were. Yeah, I don't either. The lion wasn't even a choice. Penguins, <laughs> polar bear, elephants, or tigers. I love the penguins, man. Yeah, penguins are the goats. Um, I like the polar polar bears. You can get close with it. Um, I'd probably say the tigers because they're never around when I go to the That's zoo. Say. I'd say tigers because they just sleep. Uh, elephants are moving yeah. around. The penguins, the polar bear. Well, polar bears are outside typically. But uh, the, the penguins are in a nice, cool area. So, like, on a hot summer day, you get to go in yeah, there and cool off though. a little bit. That's true, but I like to cool off, so I'm I'm fine Smart with man. the smell. I just you know I just get my jollies off when I get to see a lion roar, <laughs> now or a bear stand up and roar. I just so picture care being like Brandon, you shouldn't react like Brandon, a six-year-old. You're Thirty-one. On We're in public. Quit embarrassing me. <laughs> three one four three nine nine nine. You got way too excited about that, man. From the 636, guys, the Lions are going to be roaring on Sunday. Yeah, they are. BK will be in awe. <laughs> From the 636, that would be awesome to see, BK. I totally agree. Don't we give him pity text. You made amazing. that one up. <laughs> yeah. 
hearing and hearing a lion roar in person sounds a lot different on uh, in person than it does on TV, guys. A lion's voice actually vibrates. Oh man, I felt the vibration from that lion's roar. <laughs> if you go, if you have the opportunity to camp overnight at the zoo, guys, you got to do it. Nothing like hearing those lions roaring from three to five a.m. If you go to, the, if you that go to, miserable. Yeah, I was going to say, why go? would you want to stay the night I don't at the sleep, zoo? Not hear lion roar. Man, I did a when I was in grade school at Boy Scouts. We did a stay the night at the science center. It was probably the most miserable time I've ever had. You're sleeping on a sleeping bag in that, the science center. That actually makes sense to me. That I was yeah. find that to be not fun. That's not fun at all. <laughs> It was so ridiculous. Guys, I did the safari, and the lions were very active and vocal when I was there as well. How did you like the bridge that almost collapsed? I bet BK grabbed his wife and told her to hold him tight. For sure. Do you go to Grant's farm and hope you see a donkey say hee-haw? Again, that is not the same. <laughs> well, you don't see that every time. How often do you see a donkey yell hee-haw? Every single time that you go. How often do you see donkeys? A lot. <laughs> I work with the two of you a-holes. Coming up next, <laughs> let's get to our NFL weekend look ahead. We're going to try to break down these. Uh, Hope I see a lion roar. These football games every which way. We'll do it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I've never hated anybody more than I hate Alex Ferrario. Right just, I, I, I sent out a poll on Twitter. Of course he did. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X lot. If you guys would like to get your jokes in, my poll on Twitter is at BK Sports Talk. If you'd like to give me a follow, or if you'd like to just vote in the poll and maybe even unfollow me as Randy Character did. Uh, <laughs> you never followed you, buddy. He did. Oh, he did. <laughs> no one's upon a time. Well, even more of a jerk move. Nah, it's not a jerk move. It just is what it is. Some some people don't like my taste, and that's fine. Have you ever heard the roar of a lion in person while either on a safari or at the zoo? So far, 28% of the audience has said uh, they have. Only 28%, which means that it is a now, rare occurrence. If you vote yes, please in the comments under this tweet. Tell us one on a scale 10. of one to ten how much of a life, how much of this <laughs> was like a life experience that like changed it for you. BK, like this changed everything for him. <laughs> everything. He was so he was so excited. Like he had a smile on his face when he mentioned this. He thought me and Alex would be impressed by this, and so we no, laughed at him. Just, I thought that we could move forward. Someone was literally in tears coming out of that break. <laughs> it's because my imagery is Kara looking at you going, Brandon, you're thirty one. Let's not get too excited. I actually jumped into her arms on the safari. <laughs> was it because at, of the vibration? Kingdom. Yeah, they say you can literally hear the lions roar from a mile away at Animal Kingdom. I'm not kidding. It's, it is it is amazing. It is an incredible thing, and you guys don't care. All right, let's get into our NFL weekend look at the fast lane. I'm sure we'll be talking about the lions and not actual lions. Coming up at 2 o'clock, so that's about 10 minutes away, so stay tuned. Don't tune us out just yet. Uh, if you missed anything from today's show, by the way, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. That is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I would say today is a Marconi winner. Alright, 2 o'clock, <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> Sounded just like it. Uh, on CBS, Chiefs versus the Ravens in Baltimore. It is a four-point spread now. This line has officially moved. It was three and a half most of the week. It's up to four as of today. 
Alex, let's let's look a little big picture. Let's spend a couple of minutes on this game. What are you expecting in this one? How are you expecting it to be played? I'm expecting a low-scoring game. I'm expecting both defenses to be the star of the first half, and then I think the better quarterback emerges in the second half. I don't know if that's Lamar Jackson. I don't know if it's Patrick Mahomes, but I think one of those two guys has to take over the game themselves if their team wants to win. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it is going to be low-scoring, and I think it's just going to come down to which quarterback doesn't make the big mistake. Because I, I think when you look at that Ravens defense, they are great. Just like Kansas City, we became instance to us off air uh, at one point today that you know they allowed the same amount of points this season. Who's going to force that turnover? That's the game changer, and I think that's the biggest storyline. And, and I, I that's why I trust Patrick Mahomes. Like I think the Ravens win this weekend, but as we keep getting closer and closer to this game, I keep saying to myself, "Are you really going to bet against Patrick Mahomes? Because he is Tom Brady X to where he may not have a great surrounding cast." But you know what? He's going to get them to the Super Bowl no matter what. So I think it's low scoring. I'm still going to pick Baltimore, even though I think it's going to be very Same. close. Patrick Mahomes in his last five postseason games has zero interceptions and one turnover. One in his last five. What was the turnover? Fumble, I would imagine. Fumble, yeah, the, the, the one that happened against Cincinnati. Oh, okay. Um, but other than that, he has been basically mistake-free offensively. And that is my biggest question about Lamar Jackson going into this game. Can you play 60 minutes of mistake-free football against a Steve Spagnolo defense? We know he takes his sacks. He had, I think it was the fifth highest sack rate among NFL quarterbacks that were starters this year. He didn't have a ton of interceptions, but he did fumble 11 times during the regular season this year. There are opportunities there for this Chiefs defense to force takeaways. One of the biggest issues all season long for the Chiefs offense was the turnovers. Mahomes takes his game to another level offensively. I, I think the Chiefs are going to win this one in a nail-biter. I've got them winning on a walk-off kick by Harrison Butker, winning 26-24. I think it's relatively low scoring, tight throughout. Chiefs find a way to win it. Lions and 49ers is the game. I'm surprised by this, that we have probably the biggest disagreement about. Alex, you think that the Lions, you're going to hear the roar on Sunday. I'm going to hear the roar, and you know what? It's going to be probably an earth-changing moment for me, yeah. a life-changing moment when they do roar. I... I just like – I feel like momentum is very important going into a playoff game, and I feel like Detroit has the momentum on their side, especially coming off of that loss – or not loss, but win by San Francisco, but a game that Green Bay really kind of painted a picture of San Francisco and really how Green Bay's performed. I, I like the way that they're playing. I think it's going to have to come down to Jared Koff changing everybody's mindset about him. He's going to have to be an offensive juggernaut, but I think he's got the weapons to do it with Gibbs, Montgomery, St. Brown, Reynolds, and with Laporta. Um, I know defense is not going to be the narrative for the Detroit Lions, but I, I think they're going to be the team that comes out victorious in this one. So I love the Detroit offense. I, I love the weapons that they've got, but they're going up against a great San Francisco defense. And when I look at that Detroit secondary, it's like the Lions at the zoo. They're sleeping back there. So I, I don't think they're going to be able to get enough stops. I think San Francisco is going to put up some points. And I think if the, if the Lions win, and I said this in our opening segment, I think it's going to have to be that legacy-defining game for golf where he throws for like 400 yards, four touchdowns. He has to have the best game of his career for them to beat San Francisco, in my opinion. I think San Francisco wipes the floor with them. I don't know about wipes the floor with them. I, I do think that this ends up being like a 10-point game that's kind of fun throughout. And so I wouldn't call it like a complete blowout. I think the thing that people are maybe 
underestimating is how bad the 49ers defense has been lately. Since week 13, the 49ers are 26th in the league in some of the advanced numbers. If you look at defensive success rate, they're 22nd in the league. The Lions have actually been 15th. Now, here's the problem. The Lions give more explosive plays up than any team in the NFL. What do the 49ers thrive on? Explosive plays offensively, specifically through the air. The Lions defense was the worst in the league this year at play-action passes against them. What do the 49ers do incredibly well? Play-action passes. Where is the weakness on this Lions defense? It's towards the middle of the field. What do the 49ers love to exploit? Well, it's the middle of the field. So all of the things the Lions could potentially have exploited from them defensively, the 49ers have the ability to do. Sounds like Debo Samuel's going to play. I think the 49ers end up winning this one. I think it's like 34-24. It's a fun game. 49ers pull away late in this game. And we get a 49ers versus Chiefs rematch in the Super Bowl, this time with Brock Purdy at quarterback for the 49ers and Patrick Mahomes once again at quarterback for the Chiefs. Alex, you've got the Ravens and the Lions? Yep, Ravens-Lions. T-Bone? I've got Ravens and 49ers. So we've got three different potential combinations for the Super Bowl. Should be a lot of fun this weekend. Chiefs-Ravens, Lions-49ers. That's all on Sunday. Alex has your pregame coverage for the Blues versus the Seattle Kraken tonight right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Pregame starting at 8. Puck drop for that one at 9. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Huge thanks as well to Jordan Deacon, who did great work today back in the studio for us. We've been broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.